been a disaster so far. <laughs> well, you got the freaking lawnmower going next door, a wee whacker, whatever that is. It's crazy. <laughs> I sent you the audio, right? Oh, yeah, you, you saw mm-hmm. it. <laughs> Terrible. As soon as I, 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 I got everything ready to go, boom, there he decides to uh, trim some hedges. Terrible. Man, oh, man. And Jason, he's, uh, you know, delivering it. He's doing Uber right now, so. <laughs> yeah, either he's stuck in the drive-thru again because another sports team. <laughs> yeah, he had to take one of his employees home. Did he really? <laughs> yeah. I said, are you kidding me? Back in the day, Ernie would have beeped the horn at me as he was leaving Trinity and watched me as I was walking down right. the street. <laughs> Coming out, son. Yeah. See you tomorrow. Yeah, see you tomorrow. I'll make sure you're here on time. <laughs> That's right. Good Lord. Sorry to hear about your car. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Breathe some fumes from my <laughs> Land Rover as I go past you here. <clears throat> right? Mm. Yeah. Sorry, my Ferrari's only got two seats and Max is in the passenger seat. Your ass out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so we're waiting on Jason. He's no worries, man. But uh, well, you know, actually, we're not going to wait on him. We're just going to roll right into this. So who cares? We're pros at this. Actually, you're the new co-host of the Radio Impound Podcast. Fantastic, Randy Pike. Happy to be here. <laughs> we kicked Jason right out. Yeah, he's been demoted, traded to a different team. We're not sure where yet, but yeah, talks are ongoing. Yeah. So how's it been, man? All right. Yeah, man, busy. I mean, a lot of travel the last couple of weeks for like the Manufacturers Cup and April Fools and just a lot of software testing for Tekken and then uh, just trying to keep up with the industry. The industry's in a funky place, as you know. So yeah. it's been a little weird. Yeah, I'm not making any money doing this. Yeah, I can imagine not. I mean, I don't think anybody's really rolling in it right now. I mean, just <laughs> everything's just sketchy. Sketchy. I don't even know why I'm doing this. Except for Jason. Oh, yeah, Jason. Jason exactly. He's... That's... <laughs> And then he takes these side jobs as, with Uber. Jeez. He wants more money. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now he's just rubbing our faces. I don't understand. Jeez. He's just trying to monopolize everything he can get his hands on. Yeah. Can't even leave Uber alone. I'm waiting for him to message How me you in chat. And he said he'll join us. Um, you know, I was, I was doing great. I had a great day today until we started trying to record this thing. So quiet here all day, and all of a sudden, yeah, you know, you got to record a podcast. All right, I'm gonna start up my gas trimmer. How do you like that? Yeah, hold, hold my beer. Yeah. <clears throat> and Jason's like, okay, we're gonna go at five fifteen, and then we'll get Randy on around six. I said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. No word from Jason until about six <laughs> o'clock, and he's you know playing Uber. Um, that reminds me of one of, the, one of the podcasts he was talking about how before cell phones and all that stuff, he was always late meeting his buddy at the mall. It's just because you're still doing it. <laughs> you're late again. Oh my God, you you listen to the podcast? Yeah, dude, all the time. Oh, my apologies. No, that's, that's how I uh, learned. There's always something interesting to listen to those things. From, you know, listen to Ron Sure and listen to all those old school podcasts. Yeah, they're going over old races. Yeah, I mean, I was still racing back then, but yeah, yeah. Um, just, you never know what kind of fun stuff you can listen to. Learn. Well, we ended up talking a lot about sports and stuff, and we really tune tune our audience out. Our core audience ends up, you know, 
have to hit the 15 second button and keep going until they get the actual interview. <laughs> well, they don't know what they're missing, man. They're, they're missing good stuff. I, mean, I know. I'm like, I'm not guys. huge into some of the sports, but at the same time, you, you can learn a lot about the guys that are in the podcast and who likes what. And you ever want to know how to get a good sponsorship from Jay Conn? Because you better be up and down in your sports because Rowan is not going to screw around. So if you exactly. say you like the wrong sports team, you're out. Like, you're just circle files. Yeah. Never again. That's what I try to tell these people. See, Randy so, gets it. Randy gets it. Yeah. You just got to understand. It's all about who you know and how much smoothing you can do, you know? <clears throat> we were having, uh, before we, uh, in our chat, we're in a group chat, and, uh, yeah, you should read that sometimes. It's crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah? But, yeah, but, uh, like, we're going, we're talking about fabrics oftener today, so... You know, whether or not you use what, what's, Oh, whether or not you use it, and then is there, like, favorite scents? I mean, is that, I mean yeah, you're, like, a downy well, guy, or yeah, you're more well, of a snuggle? You like the bear? I just, I, I, I started using Gain Moon, Moonlight Breeze, okay? All right. The, the detergent. So I was happy with that. I was like, hey, this smells great. I love it. You know, it smells, it reminds you of something like a Jolly Rancher or something. And, okay. And, uh, and then I'm like, I go to my girlfriend, I'm like, what the hell is this? fabric softener stuff like i i've seen it at the stores but i had no idea what the hell it, i had no clue what it was about i was just like i never bought it i was like whatever so um i tried it i i, I got the gain moonlight breeze fabric softener so <clears throat> you know turns out the washing machine has this little place to put fabric softener uh, you know, throw, so you throw the detergent in there and get the fabric softener in there, and then uh, your clothes. I mean, it's unbelievable. I was trying to tell Kirby about it earlier today because I'm like, you won't believe how your clothes smell. Like, like it's just fantastic. It's 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 not overpowering or anything. So, uh, did you say you use fabric softener? Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure we're we're uh, using some snuggle right now. Okay. I'm pretty sure my wife likes the little bear on the package, so. So. Oh, my wife's yelling at me. No, we use Downy. <laughs> she's probably. Downy. Like, she's probably like, what the hell are you talking? Who are you talking to? <laughs> no, she. <laughs> yeah, she's in the office with me. She's uh, she she's familiar with the process. So oh, okay. Like, yeah, if, right. I'm, if I'm wrong, she's happy to point it out. She's pretty good at doing it. So. Yeah. Um. So. I was trying to describe to these guys like Jason and Kirby in the chat. I was like, yeah, so like. You, when you do this, your clothes, like the fabric softener goes into the fibers of the clothing. So like you could sit here and like right now I could scratch my shirt and you have that moonlight breeze smell on your fingers and then it's sort of like coming off the shirt a little bit, but it's not overpowering or anything. Mm-hmm. But it just, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's like, I love it. It's like a scratch and sniffer like after the first week, like when it goes away, but then you can still smell it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly what just I said enough. to them today. Just enough to like recover your bad day. If you're having a bad day, you can just scratch the sleeve on your shirt, and it turns into a great, wonderful day. Absolutely, like you get it, man. We're, dude. <laughs> this is great. Well, I mean, I gotta understand it. If I'm the new co-host of the show, I mean, right. there's important things I have to. I have to be on point. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. I'm, I'm glad you. Uh... When, when are you gonna break? When are you gonna break the bad news to Jason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When he comes on the show here soon. All right, we're gonna hit him with it. I didn't get the I didn't get an answer from him if he uses fabric softener or not. So, um, um, so we'll find that out when he uh, 
logs on here. Well, when you make that kind of money, though, a lot of times you just don't rewear your clothes. You just throw them away. So you like, know what? That's true. Washes clothes. You're absolutely right. He gets that. Uh, I don't know if he still does, but what we'll to ask him? But he used to get those uh, the clothes like uh, every month. They sent him a new package, and he opened it up to see what's in it, and if he liked it, he kept it. If he oh, really? It. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, that's something like rich folk do. I don't. Even, I can't do that. Come on. I'm on eBay looking for used clothing. Stuff. Yeah, right. I'm right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over there, you know, sewing up holes in my pants. So. <laughs> oh man, this is crazy. So that's yeah, funny. I don't know how we got on that, but um, oh, we're talking about my chat. So yeah, you're talking about the new group chat that I'll have to to get into. Once oh, you can't get that into goes. that. That's private. No. Well, okay. there's a fee. I mean, I'll give you my PayPal address. Got it. Yeah, another another small donation to the, the podcast program. <laughs> that's that members only part. Yeah, maybe that's something we should expand on. Members only. Ah, I like it. Yeah. So we gave away the uh, before the show. I put up a video. We gave away the uh, plaques that I see you entered the contest. You, you like the posts. You're trying to go for the Ryan Mayfield TQ plaque from from Psycho Nitro Blast. And... I, it, it has to go on my wall with the rest of the stuff because I kind of stalk him, so I've got like a little shrine in my office with Mayfield stuff in it. Oh, I don't I tell see. everybody that, but you know, okay. I'm a little, that's why like, when I got the body and they won the body, you know, those guys were giving me a hard time because I was going to keep it, but you know, I ended up you know letting you go ahead and give it to somebody else. But I got a lot of flack for that, but they just don't understand the, the shrine. You oh, know, okay. be updated from time to time. Yeah, that's all right. I had a Joel Johnson shrine <laughs> when I was growing up. See that one? I, I might not give anything back. If I want some Joel Johnson stuff, I, I got to be honest. I'm, I know I wouldn't be giving it away. I'm keeping it. I'm just telling you oh. right now. So, yeah, <laughs> he was the man back in the days, man. That was that was. I think I started racing back in like the early '90s, and I remember getting like a, my first Joel Johnson motor, and his you know, his freaking faces on the motor. You yeah, know, like, I don't even want to put this in the car. It looks way too cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I say, this weekend I actually was racing against Gil Lucy Jr. Oh. It was funny because I've never gotten a chance to drive with him. But it's one of those things where, like when you grew up doing this, those were one of the guys. Like that was one of the idols. I mean, he's like one of the original Godfathers of RC, right? And I kept going mm-hmm. about it with him, and he's like, "You're making it weird." I'm like, "That's the whole point. I'm totally getting in your head right now. You're going to get screwed up in the race." Yeah, my like, you're probably right. I'm like, yeah, because yeah, exactly. So it's like one of those things, and it's but it was cool because you know you start talking about some of the old school stuff, and yeah, you know, my first race car was a Losi. You know, I was right before the, I was right after the gold pants and stuff started. But my first Losi was a, was a junior two. You can remember that far back. So mm. It was like a budget entry level race car kit that came with a VHS tape for instructions. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's back. Then. He thought that was the funniest thing ever. Oh yeah. Back when we used to slip the ball diffs because there weren't no slippers yet. We used to slip the diff. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. Turn it back. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. Damn. Um, it was it was funny. We were going over some old stuff. It was pretty fun. Him and him, me and Kendall were having a good laugh. <clears throat> yeah, we're trying to get Junior on the show sometime. That'd be good. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Oh heck yeah! Yeah, you should try to see if Kendall's got time too. He probably doesn't necessarily have all the time in the world, but if he can set it up ahead of time, he'd be a fun guy to get on the, the podcast also. Yeah, I think we had him a while back on, but uh, yeah, it'd be cool to get him back on the show again. Wow. I think Jason says he's uh dropped off his uh, Uber thing here. Let's see if uh get him on. 
But he always picks up the call like at Starbucks, right? And that's kind of yeah. It's probably, he's probably right trying now. to time that out, right? So so he can order <laughs> while you're on. I gotta admit, it's a little uncanny. It's always in the Starbucks drive-through. Yeah. Yeah, this show's crazy. We just he's always in the Starbucks drive-through. Got to get his berry refresher. His large. If you say water. that all the time, though, but it's funny yeah, how it's like how it's it is somewhat. Even though it's all over the <laughs> Sometimes place. Sometimes I throw in the peanut butter jelly sandwich in his order too. Yep, just being honest. It is. No, it's, like, like it's, all, it's done on purpose, but I'm sure in the background it's probably completely Jason. chaotic. Jason. Yeah, what's going on? There he is. Yeah, there he is. So you done? Did you turn on? You're done uh, delivering your uh, employee there. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling Randy back in the day, if that was me, Ernie would have been beeping the horn at me as I was walking home. <laughs> Yeah, I. You're a nice guy. Yeah, I guess that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so Jason, real quick, uh, uh, Randy and I were discussing fabric softener because we we're talking about it in our chat. You never responded. Do you use fabric softener? Because you did post one time about you're using the little, uh, not pod. Or I guess they are pods, right? Yeah. And you throw them into the washer. Do you use fabric softener too? Yeah, you like throw a little sheet in there, right? No, the liquid. Well, I guess I should have made myself. Cl well, actually, I did in our video in the group chat. I used the liquid fabric softener. Okay. Yeah, Randy, what do you I use? Have, I... Liquid. Yeah, we're into we're into the liquid stuff. Yeah, we've got one of the newfangled machines, so yeah, liquid down some stuff too. Yeah. I haven't I haven't seen the liquid yet. So you mean they make a they make are you talking about dryer sheets, Jason? Yeah. Oh no, I'm talking about I'm talking about the fabric softener you throw into the oh, washer. Oh Oh I get it. You put it in the washer. Yeah, so I was call, thinking about that. So they call dryer sheets fabric softeners? No, that was just me not oh, knowing okay. what I'm talking about. I wasn't sure because I'm just learning about all this stuff, but you know, I'm forty four. <laughs> what am I forty yeah. <laughs> 44, and I'm just learning about detergent and fabric softeners. And it's good, because that's why we brought Randy on the show. He's obviously, you know, he's, he's up to speed on this. Yeah, he is. I, uh, I do. I am allowed to do my own laundry in my house. I'm actually allowed. I've been trained on the washer and the dryer and all the buttons and the settings. It's good. Yeah, I had to go through a, a six-hour course. Six-hour course? I used to do my laundry and my girlfriend's, and then she kicked me off that duty. And says, she said, look, I'll do my own, and you do your own. Cause yeah, was, see, that's what happened kind of on me. I, I did some laundry and had some of the wife stuff in it, and I ruined it. So that's yeah. why I had to take the six-hour class. Yeah. <laughs> six-hour. It's like when you get a speeding ticket and you have one of those training classes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I had washer and dryer school because I uh, apparently screwed up some laundry. <laughs> New student. That's what happened to me. I was telling Allison uh, not long ago, she was like trying to pile everything in the washer. And I'm just like, and I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm like, like, you can't put these white socks in here with this stuff. You know, she puts like, then one day I see there's like, you know, 
more white stuff. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm telling you. Comes back with, you know, different spots on it. So wait, it was Allison. The one... Yeah. She was the one screwing it up. Yeah. Wow. That's weird. Usually chicks have that down pat. <laughs> she hasn't She hasn't taken the six-hour class, apparently, so. Yeah. We'll sign her up you got to get it. There's a big-time class that she needs to get signed up yeah, for. Yeah, probably a certification. You, know, you do the second time. Now you're you're spending time out. you got to wash your clothes by hand in the sink and hang, and hang them on the line. Sure. Spend it. Jason's housekeeper must have not been home. <laughs> the day off. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's pretty good. So, Randy, what's going on? Uh, not a whole lot, man. Just trying to recoup from the, the, the heat and the sun bleaching I received at the Manufacturer's Cup. That was a intense, pretty intense couple of days, and uh, it was fun. And, uh, yeah, just trying to catch up on the email logs at this point. You know, there's so many things that you don't get to answer when you're out racing and stuff like that. So you have to catch up with all that stuff. Filter through all the race reports and all the issues that the guys are having team-wise. You know how that goes. Mm-hmm. I lost so. this weekend because XXX. <laughs> yep, and I found this issue with this, that, and the other thing, but I forgot I didn't turn the setting on, and it was my fault the whole time. <laughs> Oops. Hmm. Yeah, no, we we pushed a big software update out to the team and out to the public last week and the week before to the team, and it's got some pretty cool settings to it that, that basically allow you to make it feel like a brushed car. So for those of the – everyone's, for example, like Jason's ran, ran a brushed car before, you can actually make your brushless stuff feel brushed and basically – set those settings up and for those of us that are driven and, and once you get used to it again it's amazing how consistently you can get around the track at, at great speed without really having to overcompensate some stuff so um you know we had settings like that and the team obviously gets the the mobile apps pushed out to them a little bit early as well for for software testing and making sure there's no bugs and so that's a lot of follow-up with that so i've been catching on for the past couple of days so it's been good Wow. Hmm. Interesting. That is like make it feel like a brushed motor. Hmm. Yeah. So it's it's software that I've been testing for about off and on for six months. It's obviously taken a while to get there, but basically, one of the complaints I've always had with brushless stuff is that it just never quite had a, a connected feel. You can get it really good, but if you ever stopped and put mm-hmm. like a twelve double back in your car and went and drove it, you're like, it's not even close still. And for someone like me or, for example, someone like Jason or even yourself that we ran brush motors, we, we grew up with that feel. It's, yep. It feels like a regular car when you drive it on the track. You have, you know, If you lift a little bit, the car slows a little bit. With brushless, you never get that. You know, I'm one of those drivers. I never go to neutral. I'm either on the gas or I'm on the brakes. I'm never going to neutral. So for me, drag brake is useless. I'm never using it. So the traditional drag brakes that we offer, that everybody offers for that matter, are all reliant on the speed controller seeing neutral to turn that feature on. So with this new software, if I'm at 100% throttle and I lift to 90%, the car slows to 90% automatically. And so like going around an Astro tractor for something where your inputs and stuff have to be extremely smart and smooth and, and gentle sometimes so the car just careen off the track at great speeds, this helps. And so I've been testing this off and on in various dirts and, you know, 8-scale, 10-scale, carpet, Astro, everything, and it's it's pretty amazing where you can get to that 99% of speed on the track, and it doesn't feel like you're working as hard to get it. 
So it's it's not for everybody. Not everyone's going to like it, which is why the feature has a checkbox. You can literally just turn it off, and then it's like oh. everything else. But if you turn it on and take the time to make the settings work for you, it's actually really it's extremely repeatable, which is nice because that's something that Brushless has just struggled with, in my opinion. Hmm. That's kind of interesting. I, I mean, I never really thought... Um, you know, people were still requesting it, and um, you know, and then that you guys were actually considering, you know, going that route. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think it's one of those things too, where it kind of actually morphed from the rock crawling industry. So rock crawlers have always struggled with the brush versus brushless, especially when they're doing hill descents. Wow. So with a brush motor, obviously you've still got the brushes and the springs that add physical friction to the motor. And so the, the, the controlled descent is extremely easy because you have that friction from the motors and the brushes. When you go to brushless and the, uh, the drag brakes being held by the speed controller, as soon as you initiate any throttle, even 1%, the drag brake is turned off. And so the, the rig starts just going down and accelerating at great speed until you go back to neutral or hit brake in which case then it's up to you to control how much brake is applied. And so for racers, we're used to that, but for the rock crawling guys, they're not, they're, they really rely on that drag brake being consistent. And so we started it originally for drag brake on the rock crawlers. And so with, now with that, in that genre, the same idea applies. If I'm, you know, my brakes are held, for example, on the hill, and I want to slowly let that rig descend, all I have to do is just barely give it throttle, and it barely gives that, that initial to start the roll, but the brakes are still being applied. So if I lift a little bit, it slows a little bit more. It's, it's literally just like a real truck or a real car at that point. Where you know, if you're in your real car, if you were going to, say, down a hill, like, say, Jason's Raptor, he would not just put the thing in neutral and just let it go. Obviously, that would, he would have no control going downhill. Right. So, you know, one of those things that I used to do before racing was I used to be in the real rock crawling. I had, you know, I used to do the Rubicon and stuff like that, and you can't do those things without the car being in gear. And so now this has that exact same feel on the RC car. On the trail, it feels identical to that. So you have a lot of control that you couldn't get without being a brush motor, but now you can do it with brushless. So the the issue is is when you are on a little bit of throttle with brushless, there's no drag anymore, right? Correct. So yeah, it, the motors it takes, themselves have very little cog torque. Yeah. Yeah, so, and you have to be completely off of it for the thing to be dragging. Yeah, for the drag rate on the speed controller, correct. Yeah, most right now, all the speed controllers require neutral for the drag rate to initiate. So that's Mm -hmm. that's pretty standard. So, like, for example, if you remember the old LRP brushless motors, I think they were called, like, the X20s or something like that. When you spun them by hand, they had an amazing amount of cog torque, which is the, the thump you feel when you spin a brushless motor. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why a lot of guys really preferred those in, in, in mod touring because they had that kind of brushed feel they wanted to naturally slow down <clears throat> versus, you know, say something like, like for example, if you've ever had our, our A-scale motors, our T8s, in that particular class, we purposely removed that drag brake because if that, that cog torque is if you had that. When I, when I first tested A-scale brushless, that was a, the first problem I had. You'd go over a jump, kind of have that natural reaction to lift the throttle while the car was in the air, and it would do two front somersaults just because of the cog torque. So we had that okay. engineered out of the motor. <clears throat> so it was it was extremely difficult to drive in its infancy. And obviously, once you engineer that cog torque out of the motor, then you don't have those problems, and that's where we're at now. Is that the, the cog torque engineering wise is actually a downside, it's not a plus. 
A lot of people think it's the, the sign of a strong magnet. That's actually not necessarily true. You can have an extremely yeah. high Gauss rotor, for example, in a motor, but the cog torque is actually not made by the, the, the motor itself. There's other factors involved. And so with yeah. the brushless stuff, because there's no drag, like you mentioned, there's just bearings. We don't have that natural slowdown from the powertrain. It just kind of has to happen with software. And so, like, for example, when I gave the A-Scale stuff to Drake, uh, the last manufacturer's cup, it took him a couple laps to get used to because obviously you have to time your jumps a little bit differently and just be aware of what's actually happening. But he actually really liked it, and so so did everyone else that we had testing at that point. So even JR, Mitch, he was testing at that carpet track that requires them to run slicks. They don't let them run pin tires on the black carpet. And one of the things okay. he mentioned was that that to get the really, really fast lap times, you had to be really you know purposeful and hit your marks every single lap to hit those times. And that was something he was able to help you know, get help doing with this new software. He had his drag brake, for example, turned up to 40, which we would never do before, ever. 40 is way too high. But with right. this new feature, because you're just rolling in and out of the throttle as you go around the track, you're never really hitting the full 40, but it gives you the feel and the impression of what, what, what you want the whole powertrain to feel like, being on and off throttle. And so that's, that's something like, for example, at Manufacturer's Cup on 8 scale, I was running 17%. But seven, it's a different motor and different configuration, obviously, but the, the theory is still the same, where I can go into the corners like the big sweeper at the end of the straightaway and just lift naturally like I would a real race car. Not all the way, but enough to let the suspension settle and kind of put weight towards the front of the car and initiate that turn. And it's, if you go back and watch some of the videos around that section, my car is very much faster than everybody else. And it's not just the software, obviously. It's J-Concepts tires and all the other fun stuff that's going in the car, but it, it definitely helps the consistency and hitting that time, that, that corner and that certain mark on the track every single lap after lap, it helps you know, for someone that's, you know, looking for that extra edge, it's definitely benefits. So this software not only is part of, uh, you know, the, which you would run 10 scale, uh, uh, but you could also, you can also use it in eight scale, obviously, right? Yeah. Yeah, it runs in all our brushless controllers. So it runs 8-scale rock crawlers, all the 10-scale speed controllers. Any brushless T-can-speed controller is Generation 2 or higher. Okay. Yeah, we uh, we just did a layout today of a, a guy, uh, Dan Wyatt, who built a built a monster truck for the event we were just at and uh, you know, had all the T-can gear in there. Uh, looked really good and... Uh, I'll send it over to you, but um, cool. Yeah, he he did a special build and you know had all the gear in there and came out really nice. Yeah, no, we've uh, we've been having fun seeing those guys build the monster truck stuff, and we got a lot of guys that run like the RX-8, for example, in the big E Revos and the Summits and stuff, mostly because the the PEC will stand up to those things. A lot of other controllers have issues with, you know, like the Revo, for example, has the the two steering servos, and then you get into the the Summit, which I think has got five servos total, two to steer it, one to shift it, one for each locker. So it's got a lot of a lot of stuff going on in that car. Right. So yeah, but the monster trucks is and even truck pulling. We, we've got a lot of guys that are big into that stuff and. They run like our Pro 4 HD motors or our Rock 4 12 HD motors just because of the torque they make. I mean, those are damn near 8-scale motors, but they fit in a 10-scale application, so the guys like those quite a bit. <clears throat> yeah, I did, uh, you know, I, I, I got that little brush speed control from you, and that thing oh, that worked XR, really nice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That thing's tidy. It brings you back yeah. to the quantum days when they, when everything was small. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't even know. I think it, you think, is it smaller than the quantum? Yes. Yes. It is actually yeah, smaller it, footprint wise. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tiny and well, it was, and it was good. It worked well. I, um, you know, ran a really mild motor and, uh, but it was it was fun. I mean, I hadn't driven anything with a regular speed control or a brush motor in a while, and you know, I just you know, like I said, I had to get like a energy motor or something like that because they were like they had a seventeen single. Maybe you guys had a seventeen single. That'd have been a lot better. But um, that's what I put in there, and you know, I didn't even like. I don't know if you're supposed to break in brush motors. I just took it out of the package and. <laughs> took the ugly label off you're, of it and soldered you're it You're in doing that. Come on, man. You had to break in the motors back in the days. Yeah, you did. You ran it on something and, you know, like put broke in the, the brushes. <laughs> yeah, that was the stock guy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a water break-in. The water That's break-in. horrible. Yep. Oh, guys do that stuff now, man. They, they'll take our brand-new brush rock crawler motor and they'll dunk it in water for 10 minutes and ruin it because – Back in the days, you know, you remember that stuff back then, the brushes were super hard. And so the only way to get them to seed in was putting them in the water, which acts like sand to the stuff that it is today. And the stuff now that we use, the brushes are nice and soft. So 10 minutes water break-in is, you know, 300 hours on the trail. It destroys them in 10 wow. minutes. It's horrible. But, yeah, it's really bad. Um, but back, you know, 17 single stuff, no one's – I mean, we don't make a 17 single just because it doesn't get used to much of anything. But – we easily could, but I think the lowest we go right now is 35, or the highest that we go is 35, turn. But, yeah, I mean, it's the is, brush stuff, I mean, how did that feel when you drove it? Did it, was it, did it like, riding a bicycle, you're like, oh, I remember this. Did it, did it feel familiar? Uh, you know, honestly, the, the truck is so different. I It was really hard for me to make a comparison, but it was slow, you know. Um, it definitely <laughs> wasn't very fast. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. A, it wasn't a twelve double in your two wheel. <laughs> no, definitely. No, it didn't feel that good. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so uh, uh, is that? So that's the latest uh, software. And what what generation speedos are are you on right now? What is what's the name of those? So it depends on the model. So, for example, right now the RX-8, which is our 8-scale controller that also goes in, like, forward or short course and things like that, that's on the Generation 3. Um, after that, like, the RSX is still the very first version. Um, and that one can run the software, which is 272 is the model for the software. Uh, RS Gen 2, RS Gen 2 Spec, uh, RX-4, which is our rock crawler waterproof rock racing speed controller, can also run that software. Uh, and there's actually a caveat on some of these as well that I'll, I'll bring up after that. But uh, any of the current Generation 2 or higher uh, Teak and brushless controllers can run that stuff. And there's actually another feature in 272 that for rock crawling, again, it was kind of initiated where you can take a third channel on your radio and program it to actually actively adjust your drag brake. So you can just hit your button a couple times and it'll up your drag brake or lower your drag brake on the fly, which is pretty neat. <clears throat> Um, again, mostly made for rock crawling because they use it a lot more often than we do in racing, but you could, in theory, do the exact same thing on your 10-scale car or your 8-scale car, which I haven't experimented with too much uh, just because I'm used to having the hot wire in my pocket and I just, you know, have a hot wire in my car and I just pull the car over to within Bluetooth range and then make the adjustment on my phone um, just because that way I, I'm making small steps 
the on-the-fly adjustment with your third channel does steps of 10, so it's a little bit more of an abrupt adjustment, but it's there. Of all the people that you, uh, you know, deal with at the tracks and uh, some of the team drivers, uh, you know, who do you think is, who's somebody that's really good with, with all the adjustments and, and trying everything that you, that you know of? Um, well, as far as the team guys go, uh, JR Mix is pretty good about staying up to speed on those things. He's pretty big into being self-aware of the settings and tuning his own stuff, especially when we release new things. Adam Drake's pretty up to speed on that stuff as well because these guys are looking for those tents, right? I mean, you know these guys as well as I do. They're not going to leave anything on the table. If there's some extra speed on the track that they can find, they're, they're going to try it. Um, Ryan mm-hmm. Liss is really good about doing that stuff at the races. Martin Harrison. You know, most of these guys are all pretty good about being up to speed on the new settings. Um, I work with those guys a lot just on a personal level. That way, if there's anything they're not understanding, I make sure they're up to speed. That way they can help our customers directly. It's a big thing for us at Tekken, obviously, is that our drivers should be just as educated as I am. I mean, they'll never be that educated. I obviously have this stuff firsthand, and I have the most time with it. But if, if they have a question, they can usually message me. I'll usually get back to them pretty quickly just to help that customer. Um, but ultimately – most of our team drivers are, are pretty up to speed on that stuff. It's one of the things that we or I harp on them for. They need to be educated with the product because, as you know, that's what helps sell things. I mean, that's the biggest part mm-hmm. of being a team driver is helping increase sales and, and customer appreciation and make sure the satisfaction's there. Um, there's a couple guys that we talk to that aren't on the team that are actually really, really up to speed on our stuff. And so uh, I don't want to necessarily toss names out there because then I'll get inundated with requests. But um, Travis Brock over at SDRC has been huge for us this past year as far as testing. Obviously, he's got access to the track and it's private, and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do those things. And he's been a huge, huge help to us, especially on the West Coast. So Travis and a couple of guys that run our stuff there have been a big deal for us. They did a lot of servo testing, a lot of software testing for us recently. So he's been huge for us and is very well versed in the software. And you find pretty much everybody's using the the hot wire the way you were kind of in your pocket type of thing. I, I think nowadays they are just because if you're at a track and you're doing that tuning, most of the time you're 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 kind of your time's of the essence at that point. No one wants to stop, get off the track, get off, you know, go down, take a programming box. I mean, those are obviously options for some guys, and, and most of the manufacturers have those things. But with our stuff, just because essentially if you're within Bluetooth range, so which most tracks offer that, you know, you pull your car off to the track just somewhere near the driver's stand off the race line, connect to your phone, make a quick adjustment, hit apply, and drive away. It only takes, mm. you know, 10 or 15 seconds. So it's pretty, it's pretty convenient to do it. And basically – once I'm comfortable on the track or that layout where I wanted those adjustments, I'll pull the hot wire out of the car and leave it. And those are the settings I'll run for the rest of the weekend. So it's, it's nice in that fact because you can do up to 10 different hot wires on one phone. So you can have essentially the one hot wire and just pass it from car to car, or you can have individual hot wires in each car, and you can still you know bind up to those actively. So I've even put my hot wire in a driver's car, for example, have him turn some laps on a big track. I'll be down in pit lane. He can drive his car to me, and he can just, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down for whatever adjustment we're doing. And I could program his, his car and then just send him out in pit lane like a fuel stop. So those are always options for the hot wire. Okay. But I think most people are doing it that way, the non-conductivity side. They don't – it's just a convenience thing. The hot wire is a little bit, you know, about the size of the original A and B personal transponders for size. 
So it doesn't yeah. take that much space. It doesn't weigh a whole lot. So, you know, like I run Yokomo cars, which are traditionally underweight to begin with. So for me, having it in the car, there's no penalty. I just leave it there. And if I had a big race, I'll pull it out because I don't like seeing it. But for the most part, I usually leave it in there um, because you can make literally any adjustment that's available to the, the speed controller with the exception of, I think, the custom throttle curves you can't do on the phones just because the screen, the touch screen doesn't really have enough uh, resolution to pull that off very well. But aside from that, everything is available to you. So, and the, what's nice is, is we can also do the things with the buttons on the controllers, right? So we have the adjustment buttons, and those make steps of seven. So seven points per LED change versus the phone, you can make individual. So if I want to go from 24 drag rate to 25, I do that with my phone. Done. Okay. Just high and drive away. Wow. It's, it's pretty quick. So I'm moving into um, – I just kind of wanted to talk about your experience a little bit at the Manufacturers Cup. What you, did you think about that event and race overall? And, you know, obviously you did pretty well you, in one of the classes. I don't know if you want to go over that a little. Sure, yeah. And the Manufacturers Cup is, is kind of on the heels of what the original was was up in Idaho, which you've been to a couple of times before, I'm sure, where they were giving away dirt bikes and quads, and that was just a huge spectacle. And I think that was actually really good for the industry. I'm kind of disappointed that we haven't quite got back there yet, but A-Main's trying to do those things. Um, I think, unfortunately, this year, again, this is just my opinion, but I think there was too many big races around the same time frame, like Silver State and things like that. And originally, those even got scheduled on the top of each other. So it didn't quite get the level of manufacturer support I think it, it really deserves. Um, obviously, yeah. that's the track at Silver Dollar Raceway is part of A-Main's racetrack. So A-Main's really trying to have that manufacturer-to-customer you know, option to where there's representatives there. I mean, whether you're racing or you're, or you're racing against the, the customer or you're just there to do support from them, you, you kind of get that interaction that we don't get anymore because trade shows have gone away. And so ultimately, yeah. I think the overall vision for that race really is to have like a manufacturer's row to where, you know, there's J Concepts and there's Tekin and there's Associated and Losey and Mugen. And there's a whole pit thing to where we get to set up little trade show booths while we're doing our racing at the same time. So you can see those latest and greatest products doing the work on the track and, and getting to meet those customers and have that interaction, which is so rare nowadays because of the, the trade shows have gone away and social media is out there and it's kind of nice. So, so, for example, one of the guys I'm racing with in the 40 over class, he had a, a different brand controller, and it just completely went out on him. And, and I went through some of the diagnostics with him because I was familiar with it, and then obviously just was having an internal issue. So I just lent him a speed controller. That way he can keep going for the rest of the weekend. And you can't necessarily do that at all these races and, and with team drivers because they might not have the spare equipment. But when we're there as a factory support, you know, I've got a box of those things just because for those reasons, just like that. And yet – the, the opposing manufacturer wasn't there to support the customer. Yep. So I had the opportunity to do that where they could have done it, but didn't. And, you know, you could take that as a, a boo on them or whatever you want to say, but like, that's one of the reasons why we've always gone to that race, you know, because a is a huge part of what we do at Tekin. And obviously I, I've been at A-Main and I've been on the team for ProTech for years and years and years. And I know those guys really well. So any event they have that I can go to, I try to make. And they they do a great job of setting up the manufacturer's ability to interact with the customers. And ultimately, I would really like to see it grow. It could be a huge event. Um, it could be an event where there's one day of racing and one day of trade show, for example. If they changed mm -hmm. up the schedule just a little bit, uh, maybe got rid of some mm -hmm. of the qualifying because obviously the racing's really what we're all there for. If they kind of took the re the re race format they had for the pro classes and maybe just cut it in half and made that for you know the open classes and, and everything like that. 
accumulate the points and then have a race off at the end for the guys who have the least amount of points going into the finals, and that would be rad. And it'd be a good, you know, bragging rights thing. And then you still get the manufacturer cup to actually accumulate the points total, you know, not just the pro classes for Nitro. It would be open electric and maybe short course or whatever the classes are, and those would actually affect the manufacturer's cup because now you're involving your customers directly with the points. So, for example, if Megan had more customers that are driving and they won more classes with customer cars versus pro cars, they could still win the cup. Hmm. So it's a slightly different idea, but it'd be I think it'd be kind of neat because then your customers are invested in the racing just as well as pro guys. And then the pros are just invested to help the customers go faster because they need the points. So you get this dynamic to where the pros might be going around the pits like Drake or Ryan Mayfield saying, oh, you got a new can do, try this setup. You know, do you need any parts for your car? Can I help you with anything? And I think that would be a huge boost for the industry as far as morale goes because that's, you know, one of the things that we still kind of have this weird faux pas where the pro guys, you can't talk to them. They're super serious. And I, I, I miss that because back in the days, you know, if I wanted to bug Matt Francis, I just walked up to him and bugged him. You know, I watched those guys miss countless races or qualifiers helping customers out, which we don't see that anymore. That's so. right. Yep. Or well, if I want to bug him and just, you know, because he's in my class and I want to slow him down just to yeah. do a better job of qualifying, I can do that too. That was a good strategy, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Matt was always super helpful and just, man, popular with everybody because of that. So. Yeah, and, and Adam's been the same way. I mean, I've watched Mayfield jump out on a track and fix somebody's car too. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, those instances are unfortunately more rare. And a race like that that had a format similar to that would be, you know, it would, it would vest that time and it, it would be very obvious to everyone that it's important. And I think the customers would really dig it. I mean, yeah. can you imagine Drake or Mayfield coming over your shoulder while you're wrenching on your car and saying, "Hey, do you need any help with that?" Oh my God! You know that that'd be pretty. That'd be, that's what I'm saying. Like it'd be a little bit of a little bit of shell shock, a little bit of awestruck, but at the same time, like who would tell them no? I wouldn't tell them no, and I and I know what I'm doing most of the time. I would. I just be like, yeah, here's my car. What do you need to do? Yeah. So that's I think right. it'd be neat. That's some damn good ideas there, Randy. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I just miss some of those aspects of racing back in the days, and, and it's one of those things where I was that guy before working in this yep. industry, and I just think we've kind of gotten away from it. Um, I did pretty good at the Cup, like Jason was kind of alluding to. I entered uh, e, open e-buggy and then 40 over e-buggy because I'm finally old enough to race it. And uh, I teach you both classes. Yeah, yeah fortunately. <laughs> I TQ both classes. I had a really good car. Uh, Paul was there from J Concept, so he was definitely helping him out with tire selection and kind of just keeping me up to speed on what the guys were using because um, they've got way more experience on the A-scale tires than I do. And uh, luckily, Paul was kept me up to point on that, and everything he recommended worked really, really well for me. I mean, just a couple small car adjustments, but my car was just easy to drive at, at, at speed. I had to be – the pro guys were in the 34-second lap range, I think, and I was in the low 35s to ride around a upper 34 if I had a good, you know – you know, run through that lap, but the track layout was super fun, super flowing, but it was one of those ones, one of those layouts that's very deceiving. So like if you went too fast in certain sections, it penalized you and you couldn't really see it as a driver. You just blew a turn by three feet because it was slightly off camber or there was a rut that you didn't see right away and it pushed you wide. And that's where you pick up those two tenths a corner and it adds up to a second, you know, before you even realize it. And it's amazing to watch the pro guys, actual true factory guys like Mayfield and Tebow and Cav, and these guys just run at that 34-second pace. And it, it doesn't look like they're going any faster than you are when you're standing there next to them, but you put your car behind them and they're going you know, to give them enough time, they're going to put a lap on you. So it's, it was deceiving, very deceiving track. was super fun. And Kevin Jellick makes some of my favorite tracks ever to race on. And this is one. This is a good one. It was, it was a little disappointing that we didn't have that many guys there, but 
the the track stayed together really well. The jumps were built extremely well. You know, it, it, it held grip. It was super, super consistent, and it was a lot of fun to drive on. So he did a great job. It did look like a, a really nice track. I, it looked, uh, like you said, you know, everything that you said was super flowing. Yeah, it was it was super flowing, and it had a lot of places to pass, which was awesome because one of the things that I get bummed out is when you go to these tracks, and it's fun to drive by yourself, but it sucks to race on. And so, you know, I owned a track for a short period of time, and that was one thing I focused a lot on when I made playouts was that I wanted to make sure there was places to get racy with each other. Too many times I've been to race tracks, and I'm sure you have too, Jason, where the track is one line, and literally you were either pushing someone into a mistake or hoping they make one on their own. And that's just, for me, it's not a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a lot of fun as a driver. It's not a lot of fun as a spectator. It's kind of a nail-biter as a team manager. <laughs> it's kind of, kind of hard to watch, but um, I think a lot of focus – making tracks really needs to be on the racing aspect of it. Give them a couple sections to race, give them a section where maybe there's a place to gamble, but there's also a place to, you know, pull your cards and, and take your money off the table and play it safe. And giving the drivers <laughs> that decision, you know, is kind of nice to have as an option. So, but Kevin, Jellick does a pretty good job of doing that on almost every layout that he has. He, he's either a racer himself and he knows what it's, what's fun to race on. And then obviously give the opportunity to have some little heads up racing with those guys. There were some amazing passes between like, Cav and Ty on one round in specific that they passed each other, I think, five times on one lap. You know, and they, all it took was one guy, you know, Cav went in a little hot on this corner and he gave the corner up to, to Ty and Ty would blow the next corner and give it up to Cav. And it was amazing to see the spectators' reaction to that stuff. And that's, as a spectator, that's what you're there for. Y'all know those guys are fast. I want to see them race. As far as uh, right now, uh, with what you're, are you still uh, are you still working with A-Main as well? Yeah, I'm still working with A-Main. I just do a lot of, like, product testing for them and just kind of make sure that the team – I don't really have their team – they have a lot of automation of their stuff, so I don't have to worry about, you know, authorizing team orders or doing anything like that. But I make sure that the team drivers are aware of, like, the latest products and what they're for and how to use them. Um, if we do any new product testing like software or uh, chargers or batteries, I do a lot of that stuff before it goes out to the public. I kind of work with Chad Bradley on that stuff. Uh, Chad's a pretty good guy to work with on all those things. Or if we're having issues with specific hardware, um, the team's usually the first one to start seeing that stuff because we put the most time on it. And so I make sure that I get to the right person who's in control of, you know, fixing that issue or being up and up on it. Um, but a lot of it's it's pretty straightforward. I mean, the ProTech brand has been something that they wanted to really kind of separate a little from A-Main just because A-Main's big on billing the dealer group and making sure that they're – Race brands are obviously not affecting the dealers. They want to make sure that the dealers get the sales primarily as well and at least have that opportunity. Like, for example, working with the OCRC guys, Protect's a big brand there. Uh, Jack, Jake, Jack, Jakey. Uh, Jack, Jake Thayer does a great job for, for us and our Protect. He pushes the batteries in the servers really, really well. And, it, and for him, it's easy if you talk to him about it. He, they're really good products. Some of the best batteries, if not the best batteries in the industry. I mean, the servos are pretty straightforward. They're kind of a no-brainer. Mayfield runs them, so does Adam Drake now. And um, that's probably where I kind of come into play is that more silent behind the backgrounds, just making sure that those guys have what they need. Any input they have on the product, it's filtered to me, and I give it to chat or whoever else needs to hear it. And that's probably more or less what I'm doing for Amy. I don't do a ton of stuff extra for them, but um, they make my job pretty easy there with what, what stuff I do have to do for them. Um, and then you, you kind of touched on earlier that you – um, you know, you had a track for a, a short period of time. Is there any, you know, stories or input you could um, 
lend out there, I guess, about having a track and being involved with the track and that type of thing? Yeah, I think uh, early on I owned a hobby shop. I think it was back in the early to mid-2000s for a while, and it was just a hobby shop. Um, my wife helped me work that, and, and we had a lot of fun doing that. That was for two or three years, and we closed that down just because you know, the, the market just wasn't there in that particular area we were at. Um, we lost the anchor store to the shopping center and stuff like that, so it affected us quite a bit for sales. But um, that's the same time the economy was kind of taking a dig. So um, when I got – I moved to Reno about three years ago, and there was a local indoor track here. And I think three months after I moved here, it started. It went, they made the announcement they were going to close it. And so my, my goal at that point was to try to obviously not let the track close and kind of get involved. And we ended up kind of taking over the track. And, and my goal at that point was to kind of get the experience, influence what I wanted to influence, and then make it profitable so I could turn around and sell it, uh, which is what we did. And um, owning a track is a lot of work. And I think the racers not, don't necessarily appreciate the amount of time that they don't see behind the background that's actually happening just so they can have that entertainment level. So for me, at a club level, I always looked at club racing as entertainment. It's like going to the movies, for example. So if I'm going to a club race and I'm going to spend my 15 20 bucks on my entry fee, there's a couple of things that I would expect as a, as a customer. I would expect that the racing starts at a, at a decent time, that it's kept on schedule, and that I enjoy the experience. And so that was something I, I pushed really hard to our racers and our customers was that I'm here for you guys to do this stuff, but at the same time, if you're in a movie and someone's acting like an ass and making a bunch of noise or throwing popcorn, then I expect someone to handle that. And so yeah. we had those expectations at our track. So, for example, if you were having not your best race day, you were throwing a tipper tantrum or throwing a fit or whatever your problem was, then I would just calmly walk up to you and say, you either need to sort this out now or you can go home and I'll give you your money back and this isn't your day. And I, I only had to yeah. do it twice. Um, and everyone realized that I wasn't, you know, really screwing around with it. I, I, I took it very personal that you were, you know, basically ruining it for everybody else. And that's how I explained it to most guys. And so if you're, if you're having, if you're not having a good day, just leave. Like, it's okay. Yeah. yeah. We all have bad race days and maybe it's just not the best time for you to be here. So pack it up, come back next week or come back Wednesday or whenever the next race day is. It's just go home and walk right. it off. But <clears throat> I think too many times that, it's taken for granted, like doing track changes, for example, is, you know, track changes, you know, a thousand bucks, 1500 bucks really fast. You, know, you got to get the equipment, the fuel, the time, the tracks down. So you're losing the income on the, the practice fees or the race fees on that weekend. And just the time spent, you know, doing that stuff. I mean, I have a lot of volunteers that we compensated with race entry fees for their time. Cause I feel that everyone's time's worth money, including my own. So those guys would, you know, like when we had our J concepts consult race, for example, I had eight guys, that worked the entire two days that I was there doing the track change, and those guys raced for free the entire weekend. That's yeah. that's how we did it. And so we definitely get the help, and that was one of the amazing races that we had there probably after the first four months that we owned the track. Uh, it was a huge success for us. Um, got us finally on the map as far as Reno having a professional-level RC track that no one knew about. I mean, including you, really. You didn't really even know that track existed until we did it, which is awesome. Yeah. You know, we got J.R. Mitch to come out and Matt Olson and Rudy Rico and – half a dozen other pretty high-end pro guys to show up and it was awesome because the locals had never seen it in person there's a lot of guys here that don't travel they didn't go to a main or they didn't go down to la and and see these guys race and they all thought they were fast until jr shows up and olsen shows up and they're getting waxed you know and i was like they thought i was fast and i had to, <laughs> i'm not fast i'm pretty quick but these guys are fast you know if they're putting me a lap down in six minutes this is what i was trying to explain to you that I'm pretty quick, but I don't consider myself to be fast. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, like I just pulled off a 19-second lap, and we're in the 22s. And I was like, that's what I'm trying to explain to you. 
you're fast. You're not, there's another level you guys don't get to see. And I think it's just the, the, the time spent is probably the biggest misinterpretation. I mean, it's, you're talking about not only the time during business hours, but the times on social media promoting it, the times on RC sign-up, getting the event sign-up, working with the sponsors and getting all the giveaways or the race prizes and the trophies and, and just the amount of effort that goes into that is, is literally ununderstood from the general market. I mean, you could talk to other race owners and, and racetrack guys, and Jason knows this as well as anybody else that owns a track. Is You know how much time's in it. You have your own series. I mean, if I asked you how much time do you put in the JNS series, you'd be like, you know, yeah, days, weeks, every week. I mean, it's, it's just it's exhausting at some time, but it's also extremely rewarding when it works. And I think that the club racers really need to appreciate the amount of time that's going into that, you know, entertainment value at some point. It's, it's, an, it's immense. It's an immense amount of time. You know, I, uh, a few weeks ago I got kicked out of the movie theater th- for throwing popcorn around. Again, you that. Dude, yeah. again. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Ask Carrie. She stayed and watched the movie. I had to get out of there. All right. Uh, I don't believe that. All right. Well. Um, <laughs> so, actually, this question could kind of go with what you're talking about, but uh, from John Bolton. He says, are you a modern racer or an old school racer? where the uh, modern racer track needs to be set up for your car or old school where you'll race on anything? Um, I will race on any track. And my only caveat is, as far as me having a good time, as long as the surface is consistent. And there, what I mean by that is I've been to tons of tracks where the, 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 the track consistency itself, whatever that surface is, whether it's dirt or carpet or astroturf even at times where it's, doing one thing in the morning and it's doing something completely different out in left field in the afternoon. And then in the evening, it's just even a third area where you're just like, I can't, this is just ridiculous. And unless you're local where they know that cycle by heart, it's extremely hard to be competitive. So for me, if there's going to be like, for example, that's why I like carpet and AstroTurf. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I'm lazy necessarily, but I can count on what that surface is going to be like every single time. You know, there's other tracks like OCRC and ICRC over in April in uh, Utah where that track is the same. You know, once if they water it, it's going to do this. If the track is drying out, it's going to do this. And that's been that way for the life of the track. I mean, I've been racing at April Fool since the mid-'90s, and that track has been consistent pretty much the entire time. If it's wet, it does this. You need a little bit more tread height and a little bit more tire sauce. Once it starts drying out, you go to ghost pins or, to, or what I call stripes, which is a slick in the center and treads on the outside, and you really don't need any sauce at all. And so that predictability is what I'm looking for as a racer. Outside of that, I don't care. I'll race on whatever. I mean, the the IC the IOC race where Jason had the t- spec tires for that black CRC carpet, and he had already done some testing for it, I understood, and kind of knew what it was going to do, but the rest of us had no clue. No. And that was impressive. I mean, that was a track that was consistent from morning, noon, and night, from the first lap to the last lap, and the tire wear didn't really exist. And that was phenomenal because, you know, usually with that level of grip, there's tire wear. It's just inevitable. And you could pretty much run that same set of tires almost half the day without any degradation at all to the point where you might think you're losing some time on them. But, like, I ran stock, for example, and I could pretty much run the same set of tires all through qualifying and then another set for the mains. It was amazing. So that that's for me, track consistency is where, where as long as that's there, I'm having a good time because I can make adjustments to the car. That's easy. Yeah. 
<clears throat> Brandy coming in with uh, degradation. Deg- too too, too, yeah. too big of a word? <laughs> yeah, I'm Googling it right now as we speak. <laughs> you want help spelling it, or are you good? Uh, I'm good. I got it. Hey, it, it corrected to it. Yeah, what's what's cool is once if you just get close. Yeah, it comes up. It just did. It you know came what, up for me. You know what I get when I get mad is when I can't get close enough with the word. Yeah. For the for the for autocorrect to work, that's when I get. I'm like, it's got to be close enough. Right. Yeah. yeah. Then I'll just or it gets close and corrects the wrong word. You're like, God damn it, that's not what I wanted. I saw a meme the other day, and it's like, Apple, nobody says the word ducking. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) Ducking. (laughs) I use that word so much now um, that it just knows not to use ducking. Really? Yeah. You've had to add it to the dictionary? Yeah, Yeah, I added it to the dictionary, dictionary, so it just comes up for me, yeah. Yeah. Most often used words, not ducking. <laughs> yeah. Jason, whenever we start this podcast. Right? A lot of, a lot of ducking people watch this, lot, yeah. listen to this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Someone was asking me, which podcast are you on? I said, I'll be on the RIP podcast. Do they have video? I'm like, no, thank God they do not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to see everything I'm doing right now. Yeah, and yeah, likewise on my end, you I, you know, face for radio and a voice for silent movies. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. I, I I don't know how those guys do those uh, live videos they do. It's just crazy, man. I I'm so uncomfortable in front of a camera, and and uh, yeah, it, it would not be good. Jason does good though with that stuff in his uh, vlogs and stuff like that. One take Rona, they call him. He, he, never, he never screws up. Yeah, I, I'm not one taking anything. I've done plenty of those videos for Teak, and in my, usually my biggest problem is talking too fast. Mm. Talk extremely fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have the, the lowest manly voice at, at times, especially when I'm talking to speed. So i got to <laughs> constantly be – usually the guy behind the camera is telling me to give me the pump your brake sign. Slow down. <laughs> what you yeah. need for Randy is that – you know, on the podcast where you can go, what is it, plus 15 or whatever it is? Um, no, like when you can speed it up times one and a half. Ooh, oh, that's good Lord. times? Yeah. Good Lord. <laughs> like, people want the, the one and a half for me, but they want negative one and a half for Randy. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, we'll have to get a hold of Podbean and see if they can add the button. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the negative one and a half. Hmm. Yeah, we'll let the we'll let the live video up to those other guys. They're better at it. Okay. Uh, plus, my internet I agree. my internet crashes with audio. I can't imagine trying to do video. Um, what were we doing? I lost my train of thought. Had a couple questions there. Yeah. Okay. Here's one from uh, Superfan Almond McLean. So, my RX8s are running fantastic, but I haven't updated the firmware in like four years. Should I? Yes. Absolutely, unequivocally, yes. Yeah, viruses. So a lot of get times, a virus. There's always the viruses. <laughs> you know, with the Russians hacking everything, I'm yeah. sure we're up on the list as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of times where the software update isn't necessarily just about drivability improvements or or feel and stuff like that on the car. There's also a lot of improvements to just 
clean up the code and allow the hardware to operate more efficiently. So anytime you get the opportunity to do the update, I highly recommend it. And a lot of times we really don't mess with like the default settings. So if you have your regular settings that you're accustomed to and you simply just update the software, the speed controller will still feel the same. Okay. So that's, that's kind of positive to that. But yes, definitely update the software because there's a lot of improvements in the background that actually make the thing run even better and more effectively. So I definitely recommend it. Okay. Uh, he also says, what kind of Tekken speed control should I be running in my B6.1? So if this is a pretty easy one, but we get it quite often. So basically, if you're going to run modified, you should be running the RSX, which is the Tekken RSX controller that has the build aluminum housing and the optional fan if you need to run it. And if you're going to run stock or a spec class, I would recommend the RS Pro BE or Black Edition. And the reason for that is it has the lowest on resistance of any speed controller on the market today including our own RSX. Mm. And if you're spec racing, we always know that the low-resistance batteries are critical. We know the low-resistance motors are critical. The only thing left in that equation for power is the speed controller. And so for anyone who's actually tried them back-to-back, it's unbelievably hard to explain to somebody, but you can actually feel there's more power with the RS Pro versus, like, another controller. there's, There's 48 FETs in that controller, which is three times more than the average speed controller and sometimes even more than that. And the FETs is where the resistance comes down. And so unless they're going to that count, they're never going to attain the lower resistance that we're putting out there with the RS Pro. Mm. It's just not possible. Right. Um, And he also asked about Tekken servos. Can you fill them in on those? What, What are they about? Yeah, so the Tekken servos are new for us. Um, obviously, they came out earlier this year. Um, a lot more, you know, billet aluminum pieces. We don't have any plastic parts on our speak or on our servos. They're obviously adjustable with the hot wire. There's obviously software updates that will eventually be planned out when we make improvements. Um, I run the T120 in my two-wheel drive buggy. It just depends on which car I'm running. Um, if it's my Astro car or my Dirt car. Um, in the A-Skill, for example, this weekend, I ran the T250 in my Mugen steering servo <clears throat> what's nice about the servos is they don't have your typical hardware inside so instead of having what's what i refer to as a feedback motor or a potentiometer they have a digital encoder and so we don't really have the, the kind of the odd buzzing sound you get from some servos or after a servo kind of starts getting a little bit sloppy they kind of get start getting inconsistent we don't have that because we don't have that wear component in the in the servo so we have a digital controller that can adjust or rate, you know, realize a 0.01-degree deviation inside the servo. So the precision that, that we can offer with these servos is pretty gnarly. Um, it's, it's kind of a, another one of those things that's somewhat hard to explain to someone until you're able to drive them back-to-back, um, which is obviously not the easiest thing to do quickly. Um, but everyone who's tried this servo has been very happy with them. We've had a lot of even our drivers that might have uh, a... a servo sponsor or, or at least getting a good discount on servos from one brand and actually switch all the way out to ours. Um, one of the things that I won't mention names specifically, but one of our guys was testing an ACL Nitro and he was running different brands of servos at the time and that servo worked this way. And then he put our servos in and had to completely readjust his linkage because he had to have a certain amount of slot built in the linkage for the other brand of servo. Mm-hmm. But when he put ours in, he was actually able to drive the car faster with more precision because our servos would not recreate the need for the slop. So that's that's something that, again, is, is kind of hard to emulate. I mean, we realize that these servos are on the upper end of, of quality and, and sometimes obviously cost, 
but there's a premium to be paid for when you have this level of equipment. And, and basically, with the digital encoder software improvements that are ongoing, you can obviously tune the software in the servo, which is funny because a lot of servo manufacturers have that adjustability, but you usually have to use like the transmitter or some kind of weird PC link or something like this. And since everyone's already used to having a hot wire, if you're a Tekken user, you literally plug it in just like it's a speed controller. So you're already used to that. And then you look at the interface, and the, for example, one of the things I, I play with the most is the, the correction level. So you can change the level of correction that the servo is trying to accomplish. In other words, do I want it to be mild? If I'm on an Astro track where I don't want the car to be super twitchy, I can turn the, the aggression level down uh, of the correction. So my car has a, has a normal feel to it versus on a dirt track where I want the instantaneous correction from hitting bumps or dirt or any sliding, I can turn that correction level up and actually change how quickly the servo is trying to make corrections to from what I'm requesting as a driver. So in other words, if I want 20 degrees of right, anything deviation from that 20 degrees, you're able to adjust how quickly that servo accommodates going back to 20 degrees. And that's something that is pretty neat to play with on the track because mm. a lot of times you're on a track where the car just feels super, super twitchy, and literally it's because your servo is overreacting to those deviations. And so on ours, you could change it to make the car easier to drive. Oh. Wow. Yeah. It sounds really, really complicated. But in the end, all, all, all the customers need to know is you can put the servo in, mm -hmm. have a new level of control and precision that you might not be used to, and you can also adjust it for the track that you're driving to or the specific car that you're using and get a little bit more out of your servo that you might not be able to if you're running a different brand. Hmm. Okay, well, uh, this question was from Rob Mangold, and he and you touched on some of it here, but he said, I just bought my second Tekken servo for my Nitro Buggy, but I'm still mm -hmm. not real sure how the hot wiring tuning works. Can you explain the ins and outs of the pro programming the servo? Okay, so there's a couple. The, the big features, I don't want to take the whole podcast explaining this, yeah. I probably could, but I'll, I'll touch on the most important ones. <laughs> and and Rob could, and Rob could message <laughs> you, right, and, and get help on this. He's too, welcome so. to message me, yeah, yeah, exactly correct. He can shoot me an email at rpikeatteamteakin.com or hit me up at the Randy Pike RC page on Facebook. I'm happy to answer questions on either area. Um, but the two biggest ones that I use just as a racer in general, I find myself using the most often are the, the correction aggression level, so mild, moderate, or aggressive. Um, those are the ones you play with the most. And then the other nice feature is our, our servos don't have a mechanical lock. So you can actually rotate these things around 360 degrees, ultimately, as for as long as you want when they're off. And you also get up to five full rotations when they're on. So that doesn't necessarily something we'd use in, in any kind of racing format, but the rock crawler guys, for example, for using winch motors or some of these other features where the guys use servos to raise and lower the right hand of the car, they can actually hook a gear or a belt or something like that onto the servo and get, say, four and a half rotations to go raise the right hand of the car. That's all programmable in the servo. But the other nice thing is, is you can literally drop the servo in your car when you build it, and before you turn the, the car on, you can actually hook the hot wire up to the car and center the servo with the servo software. So that you can literally get in a lot of cars, for example, now where – once you install the servo, the servo quote-unquote center on the car has to be 10 degrees to the right or 10 degrees to the left. And inevitably, once you put the servo horn on your servo, you can never get it there unless you use a lot of sub-trim. So, for example, you might use 35 degrees of sub-trim. With our so servo and our software, you can literally put it at complete zero wherever the instructions tell you to on the model. And then that forever, at that point, is zero on the car. Wow. No sub-trim. 
The other thing that you get to do is you can actually set your endpoints on the servo with the servo software, and that way your EPAs are exactly the same, and they're always at 100%. What that does for the driver is it gives you maximum resolution on your radio. So traditionally, when we let's say, for example, on a car, I have my EPAs at 110 on, to the right, and I've only got them 90 to the left. Your resolution from left to right is now different. It's skewed. It's not 100% to the left and 100% to the right. But these servos, you can make up a, a mechanical change on the car, but still have 100% resolution to the left and 100% resolution to the right on the radio. That that makes sense. So now your left and right are exactly linear, even though they're not technically linear on mechanical linkage. We can give you that effect being linear on both directions. Damn. Makes me want to try it. Yeah. Well, different I'm different happy days. to send you one. Ooh. It is not mm. like the old days. Yeah, it is. It is not like the old days. It's. It's. I tested a lot of servos. I, I had a lot of access to pretty much a lot of different brands, and no one's quite doing it like this. There are some adjustments out there. Some guys have some of these things, but the the difference really for us is that digital encoder gives us the option to do things you just can't do with the potentiometer inside. You, know, you can't do a, a five degree, three hundred sixty degree revolution with a potentiometer. The gearing doesn't allow that. So we don't have that on ours. So just because a digital encoder doesn't have to touch anything, we can do five-fold revolutions. You can get that perfect servo center on your car with the mechanical linkage and the servo and program it as such without sub-trim. So there are slight advantages. But again, when you're looking for those tenths on the track over your competitors, sometimes these things add up. <clears throat> you're like, but if you have, I mean, if you have time to give up, of course. <laughs> yeah. Well... You know, Jason, if you not feel... all of as good as you are. I, I can't afford to go at any time. <laughs> I'm getting old. Yeah. I, I got to have advantages. <laughs> oh, I need advantages. Yeah. Well, that, there you go, Rob. That uh, You can uh, also message Randy if you have any questions there. And That's his second Tekken Servo, so obviously he likes them, so there you go. Yep. Good. Um... Let's get down here to, uh, I can't pronounce your last name, James, so we're just going to go with James. Um, boy, you might have touched on this too, obviously. Uh, V272 firmware, active drake, act, yeah, never mind, I can't, uh, I can't speak. Active drag brake? Active drag brake versus RPM brake. Differences between the two and when to use them. Again, uh, okay. I actually think I I saw this question. So this is James Mikolajczyk, actually. So Mikulajcik, James is actually right. a driver, Mikolajczyk. Yeah. So he actually was at the manufacturer's cup, and I did update the software on his controller. And so he's asking what the difference between active drag brake was and RPM brake. So right. active drag brake is that brushed feel that I was referring to. So that's the checkbox to turn it on and off. Mm -hmm. And so the active drag brake one, if it's on, is obviously a jet point adjusted by your drag brake setting. Now, we also, with this new software release, came out with a variable brake frequency adjustment. So you can actually adjust the brake frequency, what I would consider or call the collapse of your brake frequency on the track. And so this is something that Adam Drake and Ryan Lutz helped me out with quite a bit. Um, one of the biggest issues with those guys, for example, since they primarily raise 8 scale, is that all of us like really high brake frequencies on 8 scale because the high-speed sections where we're doing 35, 40 miles an hour, we really like the feel of a higher brake frequency. But prior to this software, when you ran high frequency, the lower speed sections where you might need to kind of whip the car around or really snap the front end down over a break or over a jump, 
that high frequency wouldn't give you enough brake power because you really ideally want lower brake frequency at lower speed. So now with this new software, we can automatically control that brake frequency via the software to give you the best of both worlds. So as that car is slowing down, we can actually lower the brake frequency down to give that driver that same linear feel that he has up top after RPMs and higher speeds, that he now has that down at lower speeds, but also with the power that backs it up. And so that's the difference between the two. And to go through that level of technology, that would be a complete different podcast. <laughs> I know we don't have time for that. But, but again, if they have questions with any of that stuff, they're welcome to contact me, and I can help steer them in the right direction. Yeah, Jason has time. I could just let you guys go on all night. Got it. This will be the next four-hour podcast. Yeah. 24-7. From Pete Phillips, uh, do you have a recommendation on which speed control and motor combo work well in a dual motor application like a Cloudbuster? How do I set up a brushless electronic – how do I set up a brushless speed control and motor to run reverse rotation? Oh, so we got two questions there. Okay, um, so anytime you're running dual motor brushless, you have to have two speed controllers. Um, I know that question gets asked quite a bit. You cannot run two brushless motors off of a single controller, so you're running two speedos. A lot of guys just use a Y harness to run the, the speed controllers. Um, you can obviously throttle mix them and kind of change speeds and do some other stuff, but it's more advanced. Um, but to run on a Tekken speed controller, for example, to change the re- rotation, you just use uh, the hot wire and choose reverse rotation in the setup page uh, and or you can go into default profile motor type number seven, which is automatically reverse rotation brushless. So there's two ways to turn that on on a T-speed controller. Hmm. Okay. Do you have to change the uh, do anything with the timing on the the motor in the back versus the front motor? Um, it, that kind of depends on the motor and what speed controller you're using. So, for example, a lot of the monster truck guys are using either our RX-8 or our RX-4, and because those run exclusively in D2 dual mode, they do not require a timing adjustment. But if you ran, say, for example, a typical 10-scale speed controller setup that we use for racing, you would need to run your motor timing at zero degrees mechanically. That way, you're actually not running the motor retarded. So you were correct. That would, that would on a traditional setup, yes. But on our stuff, um, on like when we start running four-pole stuff like our Pro 4s, Pro 4 HDs, Rock 4s, Rock 4 12 HDs, or the Pro 2 motors even, um, those run, get run specifically in dual mode, so the, the can timing is irrelevant for us. We can, we can program past it. We don't need to make any adjustments physically to the motor. So on the motor itself, if you didn't have that, you need to have the, the physical timing on the motor at zero would help, right? It helps a lot, yeah. So basically at that point, you can run the motor timing at zero on the, on the end, end though or the can, and then any timing you wanted to add at that point could be added through the speed controller. So correct. Hmm. Good one. Good one. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, this comes from Chris Trudeau. Trud- All right, I'm done talking. Tr- Trudeau. Trudeau. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, he votes for the return of the BC-112 in retro trim and updated for LiPo. You going to do that or what? Uh, we have that has been discussed actually. Um, this really? is funny because uh, I I still have my original BC 112C charger, which is the 110 volt version, and I have now every now and then busted it out to charge one of my quads uh, before. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've also seen it charge someone's real car battery at a race because they left their headlights on. 
Um, that charger is, is a beast actually inside. It's actually quite a, a really robust charger. It can do some amazing things, but to, to, to retro it and bring it up to LiPo specs, that would be a hell of a project. And, and unfortunately, with all the LiPo chargers out on the market today, and, and if you're in the industry, even remotely, you kind of see this is where a lot of this stuff is OEM. And to compete at that price point, to have something that as cool as that would really be, um, yeah. it would be it would probably unfortunately have to kind of be built on the, the framework of something OEM with, you know, a different housing or something like that. And, and while it's been discussed, something that we do take it is, is we don't really like just rebranding products necessarily. That's just not usually what we're about. Mm-hmm. Um, if we see something in the market where we can genuinely be improved upon, that's kind of what we go for. Um, Cause we've even discussed having a charger that say, for example, had a touchscreen in it that also had a hot wire. Well, you can just plug your hot wire into a USB port which, you know, it's kind of like the Pit Wizard from back in the days where the Pit, the, the certain Novak charger, I can't remember which model it was, you could adjust your speed control with that charger as well. Um, and so that's that's been done before. It's definitely not revolutionary, but we looked at chargers that had touchscreen opportunities and USBs to where it would just pop to the hot wire and you could just adjust your speed controller with your hot wire off your charger. <laughs> so one less thing to bring to the track. But now with Bluetooth, you know, you're just walking around with your cell phone. Pretty much everyone now has a cell phone with Bluetooth on it. So that's why we went that direction. But the charger would definitely be cool. I just do with the so many different brands out there and different opportunities to have a, a charger be inexpensive. It'd, it'd be a hell of a, a hell of a project to, to even sell that many. I mean, you really have to sell a thousand of those things to make it make sense. Yeah. Jason, you got Bluetooth on that flip phone of yours? Uh, no. No, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> uh, he also says Ron sure was on recently and I posed him the same question. As a motor builder, is there really a stock motor anymore? Or as Ron implied, uh, should there be more of a spec motor and specific guidelines for builders to adhere so that there isn't a motor game and flavor of the month? Uh, Yeah, I saw this question and kind of pondered it before I came on. So I have a slightly different outlook that's probably not as popular as everyone else's. And I kind of disagree with Ron a little bit. And I have a lot of respect for those guys and Ron himself as well. And I think for me, I don't call stock stock anymore because there's just not anything stock about them for the most part. Even the cars are not stock. I refer to them as spec classes. And so when it comes to, say, 17.5, buggy, quote-unquote, stock buggy, that for me is just a spec class because there are certain specs that have to be met for the car to be legal. And so with today's motors um, – there are certain rules that give physical dimensions that makes them spec. Um, but the problem I have with it right now is that there's too many variations that you can find in the market that don't necessarily represent the, the motor from, you know, motor A to motor B to motor C. There's, there's small caveats that just slightly change things. So, for example, I know one of the things that Ron mentioned was having a lot more dimensional guidelines or specifics as far as, like, stack and length and rotor dimensions and things like this, and all of those I agree with. Where it loses me is that there's certain things that you can't control. And so if, if it was me and I had the magic wand and the, the spear of destiny to control what spec racing was going to look like, I would actually do this. And so I would try to eliminate anything I couldn't control and then control the things that I could. And one of the things right now that if anybody's in RC at all is already up to speed on is the motor wire being an issue as far as being too thick and why this motor's got such low resistance when this one has this one, that, and the other thing. And so I'm not getting into that argument in particular, but I would be able to eliminate by doing this. Have a minimum resistance spec, so something I can measure, 
on the motor. I don't care what size wire you use. I don't care how you get there. I don't care if it's copper wire, aluminum wire, steel wire, whatever the wire is. Just get it to the minimum resistance and no lower. And then it just has to be a 17.5, which I can measure with an inductance meter. So I can verify with two meters, a resistance, you know, in other words, a meg motor and a inductance meter. I can verify that it's indeed a 17.5, and I can also verify that the resistance meets the minimum spec. And that way it eliminates all these random things. Because then, for example, a 17.5 has to have two strands of wire right now by the rules. But if I get rid of that rule and give it to a spec where the motor just has to, say, be no lower than 18 mega ohms, then you can use whatever wire you want to get there. I don't care what it is as long as you get there. It just can't be below 18.0. And if it is, it fails. And that would be a lot. the reason for this is, is that at the track level, you can get a, a you know an MMS meter for 200 bucks and measure resistance. And you can do that while the car's in, you know while the motor's in the car. And then, for example, if you think there's still an issue, you can have another guy pull the car, pull the motor out of the car, and then check inductance. And so to properly do that, you really have to remove the, the rotor from the motor, but you can still check it relatively easy. You don't have to tear anything apart. You can just check it. And so for say less than four or five hundred bucks, even Roar or that particular track, if they really want to get take it serious, can essentially with a pair of calipers and those two meters spec the motor. And they can do it in minutes, you know, or you know, less than a minute for that matter, because you're just checking, you know, specific things. And it's something you can eliminate all this nonsense about this guy's got illegal wire or this guy doesn't have enough strands or this guy's a 16.5 on a 17.5. I mean, I've heard it all. I'm sure Jason's probably heard some of this stuff too. It depends on the race you're at. But you hear silly things like, oh, well, this company did, you know, A and B phases were only 16 and a half, but they were only checking the C phase, and so that one's a 17.5. I've heard silly things like that, for example, where they say the motor's a 16.5 on leg A and leg B, but this 17.5 on leg C. I mean, who does that? I don't have time for that stuff, but I mean, I've heard those rumors. And anytime you hear rumors, unfortunately, there's some truth to them. And so one of those things you could do is just make specs for the motor that literally cannot, will just not matter anymore. You know, if you want to make the resistance and at some point be the resistance, and here's the number, 17.5s or 18.0s, you know, 13.5s or 14.0s, and 10.5s or, you know, 11 0, whatever that minimum resistance number is, the roar could just basically say, I don't care how you get there, what materials you use to get there, just get there. Mm-hmm. Because at that point, it's up to the manufacturers to you know, choose the best materials or the best strategy to get there, just like F1 or just like any other form of racing at that point. Because we make too many mistakes that we've made in the past. You know, like batteries, for example. One of the things that everyone knows about stock racing is charging at 40 amps and discharging at 40 amps or 70 amps, depending on who you talk to. And I, while I, I don't like that we're having to go there, I can also tell you firsthand that if you don't do it, you're off pace. I mean, if you've never done it and all of a sudden you go do it, your, your car is just at a different level. So if that's the case, now we're requiring stock slash spec racers to go spend 400 bucks on a charger, a resistor bank, and a DC power supply just to be remotely in pace. And I think that's completely counterintuitive to a spec class to begin with. So one of the suggestions I made to Roar years ago was that if you're at a race like this and you're spec racing, do not allow a charger on the table that goes over 80 watts which is on a 2S pack is up to no more than eight amps. Monkey's Dead show's over. We're done here. We don't have to spec anything. I don't have to worry about this guy charging at 40 amps or doing something unsafe. He's not allowed to have the charger in the pits. And if that charger shows up, disqualify him, throw him out. But it, now you're talking about chargers that are 40 bucks all day long, which is what spec racing was supposed to be. It's supposed to be an affordable alternative to bring new racers to the track. And no one wants to come to the track right now and go drop 500 bucks on a charger, you know, 100 bucks on two packs each, and then, you know, do some crazy, unsafe, ridiculous stuff and hope that a car goes fast. Still. Oh, no, by the way, 
my stock buggy needs, you know, pucks and narrow gears and ceramic bearings and titanium parts and all this stuff. And you just financially shot, you know, majority of people out of the hobby right? without even getting started. Yeah. You know, I love on-road racing, for example. I love watching it. I, don't, I suck at driving it, but I love watching it. I love watching F1, for example. But when you want, look at the RC alternatives to those things, there's no inexpensive, like, get-yourself-entry-level touring car kit. You're in 600 bucks into a car. That's just a car. And they're so complicated now that you need to have an engineering degree to even remotely understand what you're doing to the car. Back when touring cars started, and Jason can probably remember this stuff, it was the street weapon, the Losi Triple XS, the, the TC3, the TC4, they were all plastic molded cars. And they were like three in the bus. This, you know, still relatively affordable in the genre of RC racing. But now you're looking at five or 600 bucks for an X-ray or a Hot Bodies or whatever the latest on-road cars, the automatics and... That's a hell of a pill to swallow just to get a hobby, to get started into a hobby. Yeah, that, that's a lot. And that's why the slashes did so well when they got dropped. You're into a slasher, 200 bucks, and you're out there to mob it on the track with it. So for me, if I change the rules, stock racing would be genuinely just that. You would not be allowed to run any aftermarket parts on the car unless they came with the kit. So, for example, Losi's got their SR kit. Well, that's what you get to run. If Losi, you know, Associates got their B6.1, that's how you run the car. If they, didn't, if they weren't parts that came in the kit, you don't get to run it. Yep. Same with Yokomo. You run the YC2, DPM, Mayfield Edition, guess what you get to run? Whatever's in the car. That's it. No lightened gears, no ceramic bearings. I mean, you can't control bearings, so let those roll, whatever. But that's what I'm getting at. Is if you want it to be genuinely stock, race stock. Because now you're basically having an issue where each an individual manufacturer, whether it's the car, the tires, you know, the battery companies, all this stuff, they realize that they're going to have to, you know, deal with the leveling playing field. If they genuinely want the sales, they have to have a genuinely better product. There's a reason why the Losi came out with a stock buggy, because they know stock's huge. You know, Associates never really had to do that because their cars genuinely are really, really good just from the box. So they might have kind of already been doing that stuff. But when Losi had the first, you know, last buggy, I can't remember what version they're on now, three or four, but that car in stock hurt. It was struggling. So they realized, hey, we could put a couple parts in this car, release the kit, and genuinely bring in some stock racers on a car that's definitely meant for this class. And then the sales were really good for it. And it shows you that in a free market, which is roughly what we have here, if it works, it sells. And if you want to you know, have a class to step up from that, go back to super stock. Now you can run narrowed gears and pucks and all the other crazy upgrade parts because now you're probably going to deal with racers who've already been invested in the hobby. They're looking to take that next step. Because let's be honest, too, modified is extremely fast. The mod cars that we're racing now are nowhere near what the mod cars were racing in the 90s or the early 2000s. As soon as things got to where we're at with the batteries are so good, the brushless motors are so good, you know, these things are land rockets. Look at the on-road guys. They're hitting 60, 70, 80 miles an hour on the track with a Ford turn with turbo and boost. <laughs> you know, they're blowing the Kevlar belts out of the tires because the cars are going so fast. That's insane. Christ. You know, where 40 bucks a set on the on-road cars, and if you run them a second time, you're a second a lap off a of pace. So that's not really, you know, affordable or repeatable for the average Joe racer. So for me, if I was, you know, running the country or running the roar or whatever you want to call it, I would actually make stock stock. If it didn't come with the car, you don't get to run the car. You don't get to run the parts. The roar. <laughs> the roar. Hmm. I think you just touched on James' question, too. He was asking your view on the industry in whole, like, you know, on the hobby. Uh, what's wrong? What's good? What needs to be improved? I think you... Uh... Well, I mean, that's that's one facet of it. I mean, yeah. obviously, we're on a limited schedule, but 
there's other things that I find somewhat frustrating, and, and I'm probably going to get a lot of heat for this, but that's okay. I can deal with it. It's one of those things where I think there's too many people that are sponsored. Old school or old, depending on how you want to cut that, that sound clip off. And it's one of those things where back, getting sponsored back in the days was a total different, you know, thing back then. I mean, I remember racing in the early 2000s and doing relatively well and making a couple of Mod A mains and, say, stadium truck. And I still had no sponsors. You know, nothing. I, I think my first genuine sponsor offer was a 50 from ProLine from Scott Hughes when I out-qualified him at the Golden State Off-Road Champs. But I had to out-qualify him. So it's like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, 80 guys there. You know, I just had a fantastic, you know, all the stars aligned at that particular race, and I did really, really well. But that was just, you know, a 50 offer back then, which is still back then amazing because it was ProLine. So it's, it's one of those things where now – it seems like if anybody's got a decent resume, they have a chance to get sponsorship. They might not necessarily understand or even deserve. And the worst part is, for me, as a team manager, is they don't necessarily realize that it's a job. Your job as a team driver is to promote the product and make sure that the customers are buying these things. Mm-hmm. And so when, you, when, you, when they don't understand that aspect of it, like race reports, for example, I'm sure this might be even an issue for Jason he can relate to, is that, oh, yeah, you know, did this and did that. And then they post on social media and they think that's a race report. And it's like, I need something tangible that I can turn around and then put on Keekin or Protex, you know, social media page so we get the return on investment for giving you these thousands of dollars worth of product. You know, that's why you get guys like J.R. Mitch and Ryan Lutz and Adam Drake who are, they understand that aspect of the job. Those guys do a phenomenal job on social media posting for all their sponsors. And they get it. You know, they understand that there's a part to that. And it seems like a lot of the guys either coming up or – just as general racers at the club level think that they deserve these things and unfortunately don't realize that there's, there's something in the backside of it. They don't understand is there. It's required. You know, it's, 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 I think because of the sponsorships being kind of out of control, that the dealers are starting to struggle making ends meet, which is why we're seeing more and more tracks close. And what was the last one that was a big, big noisemaker was with Scott at PRC. That was one of the things that he touched on as well. That it's hard to make any money when everyone's showing up with product that they ordered online from their sponsor. The shop needs to make those sales. You know, tires, bodies, wheels, consumable items, fuel, glow plugs. And if everyone's sponsored by a fuel company or a tire company or a glow plug company or hell, even a car company at that point, there's nothing for them to sell. All they can do is sell race entries, which is then they're forced to you know make a race entry instead of 15 bucks a class. Now it's 20 or 30 dollars a class. And I've seen tracks do that. I'm sure Jason has as well. And there's a huge pushback on it. So it's like they, mm-hmm. it takes, you know, I think the overhead on the track when I ran, it might have been, say, five or six grand a month. Track, rent, you know, power, utilities, the whole nine. So let's call it six grand. Do, do the math on the entries really quick. You know, I've, I've got to have 400 entries basically a month just to pay the overhead, let alone pay myself. You know, let alone, you know, spend a bunch of money on advertising or something like that. And so OCRC does a really good job of that. They're probably one of the best at, in the industry at doing those things, which is they're promoting all over the place and they're doing those things. And they have the, the ability to do those things because they have such a strong club racer base that genuinely spends their money at the track. That's, that's awesome. I mean, they, they have that level of customer support at the track with Jack, with Jackie and then all those guys doing those things. And, and that's, what's, that's why that works there. I mean, they also have a huge population base to, pro, to pull from. So it just shows to show you that if you want your club level to your club racetrack to be successful, you have to spend your money there. It, there's no way around it. If you don't spend your money there, it will not be there six months or a year from now. It just, just doesn't work financially. It, it would be like, for example, being upset that McDonald's closed down because you, you ordered all your stuff online and didn't get it from them. So the local McDonald's closed down. You know, or help. Look, what would happen if Jason didn't stop at Starbucks every day for a, a berry refresher? 
Charlotte would close. Yeah, they would. Yeah, it'd yep. be done. It'd be done in a month. You know, they, Jason would be screwed. Local Starbucks. So he's exactly. So he's he's promoting you know so, you know spending money at the local level, keeping kids employed just from his habit. You know, which you know, they, luckily they have Jason. But if you know, here where I'm at, if I don't go to Starbucks enough, to close. It's just the way it is. Yeah. So hmm. probably a long-winded question. I apologize for, but I mean, I think it's. In my opinion, this, this, the sponsorship's kind of gotten out of hand. Where even the the aura about being sponsored's kind of been tarnished. Yeah. Being sponsored back in the day meant you were like legit somebody. You really didn't like. For example, Matt Francis. You did not have to, Matt Francis did not have to introduce himself when he showed up to a track. Not he was one of those you know one of the guys. He was one of the rock stars of RC back then. Same with Kenwold, Drake. You know, even Jason at some point. He didn't have to introduce himself. Dude, that's Jason Rowena. How do you know that? Do you not pay attention to the magazines? I mean, do you not know who that guy is? It's, you know, the guys were on the box art back then. They were on LRP boxes back then. And we've gotten away from that. I think it kind of needs to, if really, with everything that's happened in the industry recently, if everyone doesn't necessarily realize that we literally have, as manufacturers and even as, as racers, if we don't support the local tracks, they will be gone. In which case, you will start seeing manufacturers go away as well. Jason can't sell race tires unless there's race tracks to race them on. He's, I know he, he's very aware of that, which is why he does such a great job supporting the tracks. I can tell you that from firsthand. When I, when I approached Jason to support our local race, he didn't even hesitate. He said, yeah, absolutely. Just let me know what you need. And that's the, he understands that. that that's, I think that some of these manufacturers are just disconnected just enough that they don't realize that. They're more worried about what they're selling or what they're shipping out the door versus what they're doing to the dealers. Because ultimately, if we turn around and the racetracks are gone, none of us have a job. Um, I remember the old days of like uh, going to a track and you know oh there's a sponsored driver over there oh my god mm-hmm. now it's like like you said it's just not even a thing anymore everybody's sponsored it seems so sure manufacturer step is an example of one of those things where I had one of the guys that's known me used to race in my local track still does and he goes hey dude I'm watching your car and your car just looks amazing compared to mine and I said let me see your car and his car is actually not set up that well but he's on a completely different brand of tire and I know it's just the wrong thing. And so I literally, I've got sets of tires, thankfully because of Jason. I said, dude, try these tires out in your next round. You've got another round of qualifying. Just take my tires, and they're going to work for you. Just you know, drive here, stay in the line, do your thing. And he went from being, I think, 37th overall to 17th overall. And so can I say that effectively he's going to go out and buy some tires? Yeah, I know for a fact he did. He ordered them the same day we were there and went over to the hobby shop across the street at Amy and bought them. And that's the kind of stuff that, as a team driver, we need to see all the time. You know, even as a track owner, I didn't give him my tires. Like, he didn't ask me to buy my tires. He went over to the hobby shop and purchased them. Yeah. Now that track is going to get the sales from that. And so does Jason. That's that's how that's supposed to work as a driver. And we've just gotten away from it, unfortunately. Well, absolutely. Uh, you got any more light, light-hearted questions like this? Here, here's an easy. Positive, man. Help me out here. Well, here you go. How many sugar? How many sugars do you put in your coffee? There you go. How many sugars do you put? Okay, so um, yeah, if you do know me at all, I'm kind of a coffee holic. So I am a two creams and two sugars guy. Okay. With ice, With ice too. Oh. I prefer cold coffee over hot coffee. Ah. Yeah. So if you're ever looking to bribe me at a racetrack, I will be happy to take. A ice cold latte with two creams and two sugar, and not from Starbucks, actually. And where's the front? I'm, I'm an anti-Starbucks guy. I will take it from anywhere with Starbucks, man. I just okay. don't. I just don't like Starbucks. 
it's a, it's a political thing, which we don't do on this podcast. Take that, Jason. <laughs> I know. I, I'm sure. I'm sure there's some definite things I agree with there, but I don't. Uh, I try not to get too. Crazy. It's a different podcast. Yeah, it's a different podcast. And I know <laughs> nothing. Don't do it. <laughs> I know zero about politics, so we're not going there. No, Jason. Uh, Jason's a businessman. He knows exactly where I'm coming from. I'm, I have no doubt that that we probably see eye to eye on quite a few things. And we, of course, are both smart enough to just leave it where it sits. Just leave it alone. All right. So. Uh, how does Randy Pike go so fast? Uh, Teakin. Teakin and J Concept. Teakin. Teakin and, and J Concept tires. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's done. Next question. It's a great combo. <laughs> One eight scale wings. Not just for looks. Oh, bastards. You guys are rude. Um, so, yeah, so again, if you follow me at all um, or just happen to catch the race report because Jason was awesome posting it up. Uh, but left this part out, so thanks to Jason for this, but someone brought it up. So I was obviously TQ in both classes, uh, 40 over and opening buggy. And on, I can't even remember now, the second or third lap, I managed to get hit from behind pretty hard. And it basically pulled the, the, the fan, or not the fan, the wing mount off my car. Unbeknownst to me, I realized after a couple of laps and a couple more turns that it just started slowly turning to be parallel with the car, which is not productive for the wing. <laughs> And I have not had the pleasure of driving an eight scale without a wing or let alone with one facing the wrong direction. Yeah. Uh, but for those of you that are curious, I can definitely tell you that it sucks. And I do not recommend it at all. <laughs> um, but it, it, I still managed to get third in the class. Um, I tried to, I only fell behind about four or five seconds after over the entire main. Um, and it was even funny because I was talking to Mayfield about this after the race. And I said, I almost drove it over to you to have you rip it off because he was marshalling my race. He said, dude, it wouldn't have mattered. You can't really just pull them off. He said, then it would have made it worse. I was like, you can get worse than that? He goes, yeah, it can get worse than that when they're, when they're gone completely. Um, so um, and then he promptly made fun of me for not having the new one-piece wing mount. So, uh, yeah, hmm. pay attention to what you're racing because apparently my problem would have been solved with an updated wing mount. Go figure. Yeah. Oh, well. I had the wing fall off my uh, RC-10 at the Nationals in 1991. I was so pissed. <laughs> Really? Huh. And and how yeah, was that to like, drive? It sucked. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I thought I thought I was going to be able to kind of get around it, but it just there was this there wasn't even that big of jumps on the track at that time, and they had this tabletop, and I remember the tabletop comes at you and I remember the car like just nosing over over this thing and you know and it was the time probably too when the track was really good and I got like a good start and my wing just fell off I was so mad because mm. I like I would only been racing I was only been racing like a year so I was like you know I was just like so into it your wing falls off in a qualifier at the Nats you're just like oh my gosh you slap her you know what's funny yeah. though? You, you at that do same think you race, can drive it too. Yeah. You know what's weird is I actually just bumped into I don't know where this was. Maybe it was in that scrapbook thing that I found at my parents, but my there was a, a picture of all the results and I think I was in the my first nationals I was in the F main, I think, of two wheel. Maybe it was I think it was death. And I looked at my time 
because it just I was just doing this the other day because I took a picture, and I was like, like I was only 13 seconds out of the A main at my first nationals. I was like, that's pretty damn good. Yeah. And uh, you know, I never, I don't even think I looked at it back then. I was just like, I was in the F main. I was like, ah, it sucks. F main, but. <laughs> And, uh, but yeah, I saw it and I was like, like, man, I was like, who knows what run counted? Maybe the one with my wing fell off. Maybe that was my best run too. You know? Oh, damn. Could have made the A. Could have somebody. Epic. That would have been epic. Yeah. Um, oh, dang it. Some of these I should have started off at the beginning, the backstory of Teak and how it got started and. Oh boy. I don't know if we want to go into all that. <laughs> oh my god. The backstory of Tekken, that could be a long one as well. Yeah. I mean Um Yeah, what happened to the original the Yeah. What happened to the original Tekken company? How and why Well we can bring that up next I mean, round, he... since I'm the new co host or whatever, we can we can go over that next round. Oh that's right. Jason I don't know if we told you, Jason, you're you've been kicked off. That's okay. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, Jason don't care. He's like, great, I don't have to do this no more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be brutal. You're out in the West Coast. I'm over here in the East, so um, it's going to be hard syncing up. But, yeah, uh, it could be difficult. Yeah. We'll make it happen. We might have to keep Jason. For the fans. Jason, we'll do whatever we, it takes for the fans. I don't know if we can really let you go, Jason. You might have to stay on. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Just for the fact that you're on the East Coast. <laughs> Couldn't get off the hook. Yeah, uh, Matthew Housen, MBM uh, MBM podcast. Am I correct on that, Matthew Housen? Yeah. Uh, yep. Why Why are you so awesome, uh, Tekin and J Concepts? <laughs> I answered that for you. Yeah, we've answered that question already. Yeah. Yep. And all those Thank other sponsors. Yeah. The Gen Two uh, speed controls have pretty much every feature I can think of. Is there anything to add on from here? There's always something I mean, that's, on. We're always looking to improve on. Some, yeah, I mean, there's we're always looking to improve on some stuff. I mean, that's kind of what we do at Tekken. We, we release really strong and solid hardware to begin with when we release controllers, and then basically we will try to take advantage of that hardware for the longest period of time that we possibly can until the software kind of outgrows the hardware. And so yeah. um, there's a couple of controllers right now that are, are probably getting to that point. Um, some of them are still in their first generation, which is kind of amazing when you think about it because, for example, like the RSX, that controller is going on, I think it's fifth year as you know, one of our modified elite controllers, yet it is still with software updates is relevant. It's still fast. So if you invested in Antiquan RSX five years ago, you still have a current you know, top-level performance fee controller that you paid once for. And so there's lots of things that traditionally if you have to rev up to get the new software, you have to you know, get the latest and greatest hardware to do those things. And so we're lucky at Tekken that we can kind of get access to the, the, the latest and greatest components, usually before everyone else gets them, just because of what we're tied to. So um, it does help. But, yeah, there's, there's definitely room for improvements on everything at some point. You know, we've got data logging features, and we're always cleaning that stuff up. And, obviously, like the mobile apps, obviously get access to those things. And so there's been definitely discussions on updating a couple of things hardware-wise on some of our controllers that are starting to get long in the tooth. So you'll probably see some of that stuff later this year. Mobile app. See, Jason? Mobile app. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to get Jason to get the J-Concept app out. All right, um... I have, a, I have a good idea. If Jason wants an app, I've got an idea for his app. 
What's that? I can talk to him about okay. it offline. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it, no, I mean, it's offline. I mean, it, that's the, you know, that's the members only podcast part that we were talking about earlier. That if you really I, want to get the dirt dirt, then you have to pay a little bit extra to get the members only podcast. Members <laughs> only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, the logo is just the jacket. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, it's happening. That's great. I forgot about the damn jacket. That's fantastic. Hey, Matt Hall was in here, and he asked a question <laughs> earlier, and uh, he was the winner of the autographed Joe Bornhorse motor that you uh, sent over to us, so I appreciate that, Randy. And uh, Very cool. Yep, Matt Hall supports the show, and he won that motor. Yeah, see to... what happens when you support the podcast. You get cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We try to get a picture from Matt of him with that uh, motor. So, Matt, you got to send that over yet, bro. It's been a few months. It's hard to get. It's hard. Yeah, that's the flip phone. Yeah, um, it's hard to get pictures from these guys when they win prizes. So, <laughs> but uh, Matt Hall, he won that motor. Very um, cool. That's it, man. I think we got everything in here. Um, I'm running out, running out of uh, AOL minutes, so we got to make it quick. Um, oh, I got a I got a disc you can borrow. Oh, you do? Great. Yeah. We'll have to give him a key generator so he can get get around that long term. Ah, what? Hmm. <laughs> Google it. Google it. Google it. Damn. All right. What's next up for Randy? Where is he going to heading out to? Um, I don't actually have any races scheduled that I have to travel to right now. Um, right now. I'm kind of at a point where I'm having to um, do a lot more administrative stuff. And so we've been focusing on uh, sending out the, what we call a race support package to specific team drivers. Uh, Martin Harrison's had that before, which I think you might have seen at some point, Jason, where um, it makes a lot more sense for these guys who are going to the races that where we can support them, whether it's you know, covering their injury or some other travel, that they can kind of take that workload off as far as being the guy and supporting the products. Um, the the T can have been really, really strong durability-wise for the past year and a half uh, to where we really don't have to walk around with as much of equipment as we kind of used to, especially for eight scale, which is probably one of the hardest classes, you know, physically demanding-wise on electronics. So um, because our Gen 3 has been so strong in that aspect that we've kind of been able to kind of back off of having me to go to every single race. But I think the Alabama shootout might have been the one I go to uh, just because I love going to that race. And I, I'm trying to get to tracks that I've never been to. Um, that's been something I've really been trying to focus on this year. So, like, I know 702 has been relocated and they're starting to build that track up. So it'd be kind of cool to hit whatever next, next big race they have. Um, plus, it's going to Vegas, which is kind of fun to go to. Um, I think the other one is, is it actually, I think it's the last round of your series. Is it at RC Excitement? Is that the last round? Uh, the, that's, the, that's the fourth race. And then there's the final, which is at uh, Beach RC. Okay, so I think those might be the, the two races that I might end up going to here that are on the schedule for me, um, just to, to get past that time. Summertime is one of those things where it's more or less there's so many big races to go to for me. I, I just can't go to single every single one of them. It's just I, I'm one person that can't make those at some point. So we usually have a lot of the drivers kind of take up my slack in that regard. But those two in specific, I know that um, both Tekin and A-Main were really interested in me hitting up. So. Hmm. Because yeah, I, I would, get on the I video def- schedule for his his race series like he does for Ron Sure, you know, because I've, I've been yes. feeling left out in that regard. 
So. <laughs> yes, it, it will be awesome too. That's why I want you to come. It's so cool. Yeah, no, I'm always jealous. Ron, Ron gets those cool video spots, and I just get to watch them. So, but I gotta go change. What we uh, can afford to. What we've been doing is uh, the last two races we did like a prize table uh, video. Mm-hmm. So we talk about you know the prizes that Tekin was sending over to us and. Um, They've been kind of funny because uh, the first race we used a couple of the racers' girlfriends uh, who were doing parts of the the giveaways, and we interviewed them talking about the uh, the, the prize table and you know the different teak and stuff and you know anything that we had there. And then uh, at the next race we did uh, up in uh, Scott Brown's track we did the prize table video. And we had Drayton Staub uh, with me, and it was it was it was funny because uh, you know I was like, "Hey, have you ever had this speed control?" No. Yeah, I had one of those. That was cool. I used it in my eight scale buggy, and you know it was kind of interesting because um, he did. He had this, some of the Tekken stuff in his his eight scale stuff, and he had a little input on you know worked for him, and and uh, it was cool. Yeah, that's be nothing like that's. Sure. Yeah, it'd be nothing like I mean, getting you, you, Randy, Randy in there, but uh, but yeah, because yeah. Well, it's, it's funny because like that speed controller in particular, obviously it's the it's the RSA. And it's one of those things where there's been lots of people who have ran that controller that shouldn't be right. I mean, it's funny. There's it's been in lots of cars that, where there just wasn't anything else working at the time, and so a lot of guys had experience with it. I mean, I mean, I still. I'm to this day still trying to get Jason to run e-truggy with me at any race. <laughs> I don't care what race it is, as long as he and yeah. I can run e-truggy in the same class, because that is That's probably the closest actually, thing to like an electric monster truck that <laughs> that you can just do. It, they're hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I would like to do that. Like, uh, you know, I think like an AMS or a Southern Nats or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. That would be a, that would be good. We could we could battle. Yeah. yeah, I just got to get that on my bucket list. I got to check that box. So I got to, to race Gilosi Jr. I got to beat him this last weekend. So now that yeah. on my bucket list, I've got to race Ruona, and I've got to beat him. Yeah. So well, whatever I mean, that takes. So, well, no, you got to watch what you do. He whatever sponsors you, doesn't he? Yeah. I, I do. I, I got to beat the boss. That's how that works. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. You have a target on your yeah, back, Jason. Yeah, Jason's just laughing. He's like, no chance. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you know, I, honestly, I, I don't. Recently, I haven't been that stellar out there. Uh oh. Last couple, last couple Super Cups I ran, I feel like the wheels were falling off a little bit. Oh boy. But uh, <laughs> um, you need some PEDs. I, 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 I just, I just need a little track time. <laughs> a little old-fashioned wheel. A little old-fashioned wheel time uh, kind of goes a long way. I think the next time I'm going to race one of our Super Cups is in August, and I think that should be a pretty pretty good time. I need to get a little bit of – I need to run a little bit before that. Just yeah. not... That way you can bring it. Yeah, it's just that's enough. There's nothing that replaces actual track time. You guys joke about like VRC and stuff like that. And I just tell them it's not the same. It's just not even. Man, close. I've I, I've taken it about as far as you can go by not 
practicing or having any track time and still in Florida anyway, turning in some kind of a result, but I've taken about as far as it can go. <laughs> yeah. I got, that, that was one of the things that the local guys were pretty pissed off about April fools that I, those guys were there for since Tuesday and I rolled in there Thursday evening. I think I got one pack on each car and it just slowly made changes and had some decent qualifiers and ended up winning forward. I have 13, five and those guys weren't even in the A main. There's a lot of local guys that have raced for, like, forever. And those guys were just pissed. I mean, they're, they're still pissed to this day that, you know, they were there for two additional days and they just still didn't like, they weren't even close. Wow. So pretty, it's pretty funny that sometimes you get lucky and just show up cold Turkey. I'm sure Jason's done it too. And it's like, Oh yeah, everything kind of worked out. I'm good. <laughs> like, you know, everyone spent their entire life there that whole week at the track and don't have anything to show for it. So <laughs> I'm sure Jason will be fine. He just needs to let me know when the e-truggy class is on. That'd be a lot of fun cross promotion. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I've told people, I said, one of the fastest RC cars I've ever raced was an e-truggy. I had the Tekken gear in it. Um, it was at the Southern Nationals, and this is many years ago. I mean, this is like when that race started, so it was like maybe 2011, uh, somewhere around there. And, uh, I mean, I, I kept turning the thing down because it would come on the straightaway and the tires would balloon so much in the front that you could control how much the truck steered with the throttle. You know, the, you, you'd come on the straightaway turning to the right and then you'd want to turn into a section. And I got to the point where I could just say, if I wanted the truck to turn more, I just keep pulling the trigger for more throttle and it just would like balloon the tires and walk into the turn. <laughs> and, it was so fast. It was, it was incredible. Uh, so fun to drive. And yeah, they're hilarious. And talk about that, uh, the RX-8. I mean, the other day we had one of these trucks sitting at the shop, uh, one of our old uh, something. And I was, uh, I was telling Fred, you know, I was like, yeah, you know, I said, maybe we should sell this truck. Like, I don't know that we're using it anymore or something. And, uh, it was a couple hours later, I walked by, and I'm just like, where's all the electrical in this thing? And he's like, oh, I took everything out. I didn't. He's like, I'm going to put it in something else. All right. <laughs> so he was like, he's in love with that RX-8 in his uh, Flash 4x4. Um, he's, he's just like, man, that thing's treated him so well, and um, he's done really well with it. Likes it. Yeah, it's definitely one of the, one of, been one of our best products. I mean, it's, it's gone through three generations, but even like the Gen 2, like you can take the new software, drop it right on there, and it's just like a Gen 3. There's a real a slight hardware difference on the BEC, but for the most part, the controllers are identical, which is awesome because like you just literally upgraded your speed controller for free. Which is rad. I remember, you know, honestly talking to, to Jurgen from LRP because uh, I went and visited him. Um, I went to Europe last year uh, for the Neo Buggy and EOS, and I spent some time with him at LRP. And you know, he said that's that is a big difference in today's uh, speed control game than it was, you know, back in the years past with brush stuff. Is he said, you know, you made a new speed control with new, you know, inner components or uh, you came out with something and you had something to sell. 
And now he says we, you know, we make, um, you know, we spend time and money and resources improving the software and we give it away for free. <laughs> and, um, and he said that was very tough for him to swallow because he was so used to doing it a certain way and it really, really helped them. And he said when they, when the market got to the point where they had to essentially give away software updates, he said it was, it was, it was tough to, um, to kind of wrap his head around that because it, it's basically like you're getting a new speed control, like you just said. Yeah, I mean, at some point, it's you start to question that business model. Obviously, like back in the days, you're right. If you wanted the the new software settings from a quantum, for example, because I used to run LRP back in the days, you had to get the new quantum two, and then the quantum three. Mm -hmm. Just that's how it worked back then, because there was no updates that way. And it just seems like I kind of you know look at the cell phone market as a comparison. It's like if you have a new iPhone, it usually lasts for what one or two OS updates, and after that, the hardware is so antiquated that it can't run the new software. You're stuck into buying yeah. new phones. And so just because yeah. of those analogies and that the way the markets are similar, that it's, you know, yeah, you could you could definitely go back to the old way. I mean, to financially speaking, hell, we'd love to. You'd be able to do that and go back, oh, new software is a new controller. You know, new sticker, new part number. <laughs> you got to buy the new stuff. And I'm just not yeah. sure if the market would bear that today. I mean, it'd be a hell of a thing to try, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's hard to say, you know, but uh, – um, yeah, obviously that was a a big thing in those days. Indeed it was. So we talked about the races uh, that you had coming up. We had some team driver stuff. And I don't know if Randy wants to give a, a shout-out here to his supporters, sponsors, uh, yeah, I'm sure we have I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's not a huge long list, but the guys, I definitely you know, appreciate having the support. Obviously, it's obviously Teakin's one of the big ones. Uh, Jay Contest is obviously a big one for me. I've always been a, a fan, and Jason knows that. When I've, I've ran for the tire companies, and he was basically the first phone call for the most part that I made, and it's been great working with him and, and Paul and all the guys on the team for that stuff. Uh, a Main and Protech are a big help for me. Um, Kendall Bennett and Amy and Kevin Kaiser and Amy have been huge as far as supporting me with what I'm doing and giving me the, the latitude to kind of help them get to where they've gotten. Um, I do run, run Yokomo 10 scale cars as well. Uh, David Joe over at Avid, uh, he's been sponsoring me ever since I can remember, and he's been a pretty great support for us. MIP, Matt Olson and Eustace at MIP have been great. Uh, Cichlids Paints, Factory RC, and Imagine It Graphics are all my sponsors for 2018. And uh, without them, obviously, we wouldn't be having as fun as we're having now. So I definitely appreciate their support. Excellent. Nice. Well, I appreciate you being on the show, Randy, and uh, thanks for uh, supporting the show, getting us prizes and stuff to give away. I really appreciate it. And uh, No, yeah. we, we appreciate you having us on here. I mean, obviously, we get the return on those investments, you know, two or three times over. So anything <laughs> we can do to help you guys out, just let me know. Sweet. Yeah, definitely. All right. Randy Pike, go over to Teakin. Uh, what's the what's the website there? The uh, TeakinRacing dot com. Yep, TeakinTeakin.com. dot com. Go, go over there for Protech RC and dot com. Yep. And if you need uh, Randy to help you out, uh, I know there was a question there, how to tune the speed control and stuff. Just message Randy and he'll get back to you. He'll help you out. Yeah, and they can shoot me emails at 
rpike at teamteacon.com. They can message me, obviously, on Facebook, and they can also check out my website, which has almost all my current setup sheets. I try to keep it up to date. Uh, race reports and things, you can subscribe to that as well, which is randypikerc.com. Oh, okay. I did not know that. So that's good. Yeah, I, I probably could do a better job of promoting it, but for the most part, uh, I try to keep you know my all my setup sheets on there active, latest news, certain downloads that I find uh, interesting. I've got a setup sheet that kind of uses a cheat sheet when I'm you know high on tire sauce or just exhausted from the races <laughs> I kind of go back to. And and uh, I used to do a tip of the week, which I've had to narrow down to tip of the month because <laughs> tip of the week is a hell of a workload. I've probably bit off more than I can chew at the time, but uh, yeah. I try to post tips on there once a month, you know, just specific little racer things. Jason does some of those things that are similar, and I try not to, to cross-populate with his stuff because it's, it's really good as well. But um, there's a lot of information on that website, so check it out. Nice. All right. There you go, folks. Head over to Tekin. Head over to Randy's site. Show him some support. Show him some love. Tell him, uh, tell him the Ripcast sent you. Maybe he'll give you an autograph photo of himself then. <laughs> no one's going to want that, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Jason hands him out. I just figured you did, you know? So. I, no. I haven't got one of those from Jason. I'll have to look that up. Oh, yeah, he has them. Yep. <sighs> Must be nice. Yep, yep. All right, Randy. <laughs> Appreciate it, bro. All right, man. Appreciate having me up. Yep. Thank you, Randy. Yep. Look forward to having you on welcome. again, we'll man. Catch you guys later. All right, buddy. Yeah, anytime. Randy Pike, awesome interview, awesome interview. A lot of good stuff in there. Lots of good stuff. Yeah. Got a lot of, all the Tekken stuff, all the info on Tekken, and then we got some fabric softener talk. It's all good stuff. That was my favorite. <laughs> all right, Jason, what do you got going on this weekend? Where are you heading? Just hanging out? Uh, not Yeah, not going anywhere this weekend. Just trying to uh, kind of... I don't know what the right word is. Uh, get ready for the bats. Oh, that's right. It's next weekend, right? So you got that coming up. Yeah. Leaving. Uh, well, it's in your own, it's in your turf. So when you guys leave for that Tuesday, Wednesday. I think we're gonna go up Tuesday. All right. And it's we're gonna just, try to squeeze a show been... in on Monday, right? Yeah. Okay. Do you have any uh, special guests been... coming on? Uh. Yes, Chad Brockman from Moore RC Raceway. All right. I think uh, I think one thing that we are going to do that I kind of dawned upon me at uh, one of our last races was I was like, you know, we need to get more of these track owners and uh, representatives on the show because especially the ones that have been in the business a long time. Yeah. And uh, you know, I was sitting there at uh, Tacoma RC. And I was just like, 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 why haven't we had Scott Brown on yet? That would be perfect. And then I was thinking, you know, um, and then then I started. I was like, well, I think Chad Brockman from uh, Colorado. I think he's had a track with his dad longer than just about anybody. I want to say they're going on like thirty years or something. Wow! It's I, I don't know. It, it's incredible. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. The, the, the number is inc- is incredible, and that'd be great. He'll, and uh, that'll be it'd be good uh, to have him on, and he can give us the actual um, the actual time. But uh, it, it is amazing. Hmm. But yeah, you know, I think it's I think it's helpful because it gives us um, 
you know, these guys can give a tid, uh, a tidbit of info on, you know, what's kept them in it so long. And, uh, you know, and Chad is not afraid of speaking his mind either. He'll let you know exactly, um, the the positives and the negatives, you know, right away, and you know what could be different and better, and he'll definitely uh, give some good info. Yeah, that's gonna be awesome then. Cool. Yeah, you know, I think we'll continue. You know, we'll do some more of, uh, you know, that. I think it's gonna be. It'll be good. All right, we gave away the uh, two uh, Ryan Mayfield plaques earlier today. Uh, the video is up on our Facebook page. And uh, we had people like the post, and uh, I took all the likes from that post and put them into a, uh, you know, I put them into the, uh, what do you call that thing? Picture name out. So we had Stephen Lore, he won the TQ plaque, and uh, Dennis Zellers won uh, Mayfield's uh Second place plaque from Psycho Nitro okay. class. So, and what we're going to do on Monday is uh, we're going to give away the Ryan Mayfield eight scale body that uh, he used at uh, Psycho Nitro Blast. Uh, we're going to give that away to the patrons of the show. That's on Patreon.com/slash Radio Impound. So you got some time to sign up for that, and we'll give that away on Monday. So thank you very much, Mayfield and Jason, for those prizes. And what do we got tonight? Cavs and uh, we got the Cavs coming on tonight. Cavs and Golden State. Yes. Cavaliers got to do a four-game win streak here. Oh man, there's no way. <laughs> um, they, they may get one tonight. That's it. Yeah. The 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 thing that I think one of the issues of any type of thing is is looking at the daunting task ahead of you yeah. to complete something mm-hmm. you know because just... my first thought is I was something like that oh four you gotta win four games in a row but then I think all right well say you win tonight um then all right you know you got you got yourself a win <laughs> you go to golden state you just let it all hang out because yeah, there's really nothing to lose, right? It's kind of the pressures on them to close it out. Mm-hmm. Say you end up magically getting a win. Now things are much more interesting. Yeah. So, so the way I look at it is, you're really talking about two wins, not four wins, because I think you can you can definitely make things interesting uh, by getting two wins. Yeah, because by in getting game one six win is in Cleveland. And Correct. I don't yep. think you. I don't think you lose that game. I don't think you lose game six then right. in Cleveland. Yeah, you, you won't. So you force so, a game seven. Just yeah. So now game. you're in seven, and and then you know, uh, you know, you don't want to be happy about losing, but you push somebody to the limit. I think yep. that's really what it's all about. Yep. So, um, I actually, I mean, I hope that's what happens. I don't think Cleveland's definitely the better team, uh. But I think that it would be interesting to push these guys to the limit. Uh, it's just been too easy. Uh, nobody's been able to match up with their, uh, you know, their depth, their talent, and you know now they're getting experienced. Um, you know, they're getting so experienced uh, that it's it's hard to beat them on that now too. Well. 
I want to go watch that. So we're going to head on out. Check out jconcepts.net. Show Jason love, right? Show you some love. Tell your hobby shop to order J Concept stuff. Yeah, I mean we're we're out working hard. We're um, you know we've got a lot of new products, yep. and you know maybe we'll you know, throw a couple little teasers out there uh, mm. for uh, you know when you post the show, I'll send you some photos to put, but. Ah. Yeah, we got some we got some cool things going, uh, and we just have some great events coming up uh, with you know the Roar Nationals uh, swinging around here, which is always some of the better, highly contested events. Uh, you know, we got a, a big we have our race at Hobby Action. I think Randy ah. uh, brought up a couple uh, events you know we were talking about and. So, you know, we're out there. We're, we're uh, trying to support the different race events, different tracks, and make the product better. Oh, Jason's Even got Jazz the snacks out. Food. I thought you were breaking out the snacks for the game. Not yet. Allison said she's going to bring some dinner back. I'm excited about that. Yeah, but it's probably going to be real healthy. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what she's what she's feeling. You'll come, she'll come back with some seaweed and a, and uh, <laughs> some a seaweed. Sticks. Yeah, a couple sticks or something. You'll be like, "What the heck?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We will catch you Monday. No weeks off. We're doing it so far. <laughs> this is like the fourth week in a row. I think a whole month of uh, podcasting. Dude, we're we're just we're just back. Yeah, until you got to go somewhere like overseas or something, then we're screwed. But uh... <laughs> that'll be November. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that note, we are out of here. See you Monday, guys. Thanks for joining us. Episode 175 with Randy Pike was a good one. Listen to it again and again and again. Just rewind it. Go back. Listen to it. It's awesome. And big thanks to Randy it's be and Tegan. Yeah. Big thanks to Randy and uh, Tekin. So he supports the show since the start. So appreciate it. All right, guys. We will see you next week. Later on.